This week on the Pro Wrestling Podcast, podcast. Nick Khan opens up about Vince McMahon's return, the WWE sale, and what he really thinks of AEW and Tony Khan. Kevin Nash receives a wellness check after a not-so-great comment on his podcast this week. Warner Brothers Discovery has heat this week after apparently banning a tribute show on AEW Dynamite for Jay Briscoe. And the whole entire wrestling world remembers Jay Briscoe. I'm your boy Seth Grimes, and this is the Pro Wrestling Podcast podcast reach for the sky boy what's up y'all welcome Welcome, welcome, come on in to another episode of the Pro Wrestling Podcast Podcast. I am your host, Seth Grimes, on a week that has been emotionally taxing, to say the least, for us wrestling fans and the wrestling community at large. Very hard week for all of us after the tragic passing of Jay Briscoe. We are going to spend some time honoring Jay Briscoe here on this show, and uh, I hope you will come along for that ride, because I have compiled a good collection of a lot of people, different people talking about the passing of Jay Briscoe, so we'll get into that. Lots of other news to get into, too, this week. This is going to be a very long show. I know uh, I've been doing a couple, couple long ones lately, and if uh, you're not into the super long pods, I do apologize for that. Try to keep them around an hour if I can, uh, but it's just been a crazy couple weeks uh, of news stories, and you know I'm not doing everything proper justice if I just kind of half-ass and just give a couple thoughts and then hurry up and try to move on, so... Um, I cover these topics as best as I can, and then I move on to the next topic, and sometimes that's going to eat up a big chunk of the show, and other times we'll come in right around an hour. So uh, this one, just forewarning, is going to be a longer one, uh, especially because we are going to be spending quite a bit of time on the Jay Briscoe segment. Um, If you have gotten your fill, I know everybody's been talking about it, and this has been the dominant subject of the pro wrestling podcast world this week so uh, if you're just looking to kind of dive into some of the other topics you can go ahead and jump to this timestamp here which i'll put in in post and you can enjoy some of the other clips that i have put together for you this week Um, but you know, let's just go ahead and get right into it. And we're going to dive into our top story this week. The wrestling world has come together this week to collectively mourn the tragic passing of Jamin Pugh, AKA Jay Briscoe. Um, this was a very rough week for everybody in the wrestling community from, 
obviously the people closest to Jay that are friends with him or close to the family, to people that have worked with him in the ring or maybe just shared a locker room with him in passing. Right down to us fans who maybe we've met him at an autograph signing or a convention or after a show out on the curb drinking beer. Or maybe we never met him at all and we just admired him from afar as a wrestling fan and respect his body of work that he's gifted us to this world. And uh, the whole wrestling community came out in droves to honor and mourn the loss of Jay Briscoe. You know, everybody from folks in, of course, uh, you know, AEW. A lot of them were wearing armbands on Dynamite. Same with SmackDown over in WWE. And uh, respectively, WWE has even mentioned Jay Briscoe's name on air, both NXT and SmackDown. Um, <clears throat> it's just, just really sad. But I don't want to spend this segment mourning the loss of Jay Briscoe. I did do a separate clip um, where, where I certainly gave my thoughts on his passing and, and kind of paid my respects and, and mourned. And I think we've all been through that this week. So I wanted to kind of take it in a different direction and maybe start the process of healing. And uh, what I wanted to do was just collect as many thoughts on Jay Briscoe as I could from the podcast world this week. Now, I'm never going to be able to do this justice. So this is only a sample of what's out there. You know, everybody's talking about it. But I have compiled uh, some of the more uh, prominent tweets that were sent out mourning the loss of Jay Briscoe, as well as a lot of the comments that were made on podcasts this week. Certainly, I'm not going to be able to catch them all, and I would imagine that a lot of other podcasts that were recorded prior to the announcement of Jay's passing will have comments on next week, so obviously they're not going to be able to be included um, but I just wanted to kind of pass along as many thoughts on Jay Briscoe as I could. A lot of these are remembering Jay Briscoe. Um, these, obviously, everybody's sad and kind of mourning the loss, but I wanted to kind of pick things where people are remembering certain, you know, memorable moments that they had with Jay, whether it was a match or just meeting the guy or some sort of story, you know, from their time around Jay Briscoe. So I wanted to share as many of those as I could with you here. Uh, so that's what I'm going to do. Uh, these are from several different podcasts. And so I'm just going to go ahead and let them play. So if you want to sit back and just kind of watch a whole bunch of clips, this one's going to be a longer one. So hang in there and uh, let's, let's sit and watch the wrestling world mourn and remember the man, more than the wrestler, the man, Jay Briscoe. And I want to start with some of the tweets from the wrestling world. We'll do that uh, with a little bit of music that will honor Jay Briscoe as well. And then we'll move into some of the actual clips from the podcast. But first, let's take a look at some of those tweets. Reach for the sky, boy.
Reach for the sky, boy. It's hard. It's hard to talk about Jay without talking about Mark, because they were, you know, yes, they're brothers, but you know they they came together. But my experience with them, and this is, I never ever had any negativity with these guys. You know, during my time as an owner of ROH. And beyond that, it was just a pleasure. Always upbeat. No, uh, nothing ever sour. They and and I think of Jay, and we would laugh. You know, I, I'd be able to get them to laugh, and they'd make me laugh. And no matter what. There was just never a negative moment with these with, with Jay and uh, what you got with them was you know that was them. This was no character. You know they, they were the real McCoy. But as past being wrestlers, we'll get to that shortly. Just the. I can't imagine what's going on with the family because of how, if you, you know, found anybody in the wrestling business that was more in love with and loved and wrapped up in their family, it would be the Briscoe. It couldn't, there couldn't be anybody more. So, and you've seen, I don't know when, I mean, it looked like a head of state would have passed away on Twitter from everybody currently in the wrestling business or that's ever been in a locker room with them or, or, or involved with anything to do with Jay's career. 
I mean, you can tell when people are just, oh, we're sorry something happened. No, this is everybody is torn up. And that's, you know, that's hard to find. And it's more than like some legend from goddamn Attitude Era was gone. It's, it's it, you know, even though Jay was was not on national television, everybody that interacted with the fans that have seen the Briscoes are broken up and the people who've worked with them and everybody that's interacted with them. I don't really, really like a lot of people in pro wrestling, but I really like Mark and Jay. And I, uh, uh, I, 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 and I appreciated working with them so much and just having the time to uh, share a locker room with them. You know, I, I was fortunate enough to be the six, Ring of Honor six-man champions with them and just spend some time, you know, working with them. And you know, I'm sure Tommy... I don't know if Tommy told you the story. I tried to lighten the mood just a little bit today of when we worked with the when we worked with the Briscoes at the Hammerstein and we were having this ultra serious hardcore match and then me and Tommy wanted to break out lightsabers and just looking at the looks on Mark and Jay's face when me and Tommy suggested using lightsabers and they were consummate professionals and they <laughs> they tried so hard to say no that they didn't want to do it but it wasn't possible. I just I'll never forget that story and seeing the look on Jay's face, who's, you know, to me, who was always the more serious of the two brothers. And this, this, he kind of had that bitter beer face, like, Bubba, Tommy, I'm just not sure about that. But he didn't want to be disrespectful to me and Tommy. And uh, I'm going to I'm going to miss him. I'm going to miss him a lot. ROH, and we were able to get the Briscoes for this Omega show to wrestle myself and Jeff. And Jeff was underneath Impact Contract. and mm-hmm. uh, Typically, he didn't do a lot of indies at this time, but they were uh, very willing to let him do the, the indie, and, and we were able to put the show together. And I'll never forget, these, these guys, they, they drove down from Delaware to come to North Carolina for the show, right? And uh, we were able to get them a pretty good payday. I had known them both from Ring of Honor. I've worked with them for a couple years at that point. And I'll never forget whenever they got there, I went and I took them to uh, Pick and Pig. It's a, a very famous barbecue yes. place, yes. Uh, which which actually burned down about a year ago. And it's actually getting ready to reopen. My wife just told me, and she was actually excited about it. And she, she doesn't even eat pork. She hates pork. She loves some of the chicken stuff that's there. So they're getting ready to reopen shortly. Like We went to Pick and Pig that day, and, and I'll never forget. I said, man, you guys are going to love this place, especially if you're barbecue fans. And they both went. They had a great meal. And I almost had to fight Jay because I wanted to pay for their, their lunch and their dinner, but he like wanted to pay for it so badly. You know and he said, No, nah, man, I'm down here. And like, you know, we're, we're working with your guys and you're taking good care of us. No, nah, man, you drove down. This is a big deal. This is mine and Jeff's high school that we went to. And it's, it's important to us. And like, we, we've wanted to have this match with you guys for a long time. Now, thank you. Thank you. But he, he was so, he said, no, nah, let me get it, man. Let me get it. And I had to sneak and pay the bill eventually, but both, both those guys, sweethearts. And, and there's so many moments from, that conversation where it was myself and, and Jay and Mark just sitting back eating at Pick and Pig in Carthage, North Carolina, that I, that I really cherished. That was one of the times I really got to spend, you know, 45 minutes or an hour just kind of shooting the shit with them and talking about life. Not wrestling, but just talking about life and existence. And I, I've seen so many different people post different memories of them. And again, like I said, I hate that so many people are so, so, so sad. Um, but like he was just real. And I remember like after every impact show, 
I'd be driving and I'd be seeing him and his brother walking. And I'd be like, you guys need a ride? And like, nah, we're good. Or like one, the last time I saw them, we were actually where we're going to be headed this weekend. And they were just hanging out, drinking beers at the 7-Eleven. And I was just like, you guys want a ride? And like, no, we're just hanging out with the fans. And I was just like, you guys are awesome. I loved, I love me some Briscoes. And that was just them. And uh, because without Jay Briscoe, without Jay and Mark Briscoe, I wouldn't have had the 2022 that I had. And I wouldn't have been able to give my, my wife and my daughter the life that they have to the extent that they have for years and years to come because I'll be able to make a living off of those three matches for a really long time. Uh, thank you to everyone who voted. And thank you, Jay, for giving me this life and allowing me allowing me to continue to take care of my family. I will do my best to continue to take care of yours. One of the first Ring of Honor matches I ever saw was El Generico and Kevin Owens taking on the Briscoes. Now at the moment, I can't remember uh, what year that was, but it was a long time ago. And I'm sure if you'd watch it today, you'd be like, oh, you know, they look so young. But it was just one of those things where all of a sudden you watched it and you're like, this is like nothing else I've ever seen because it was almost out of control in one sense. But clearly they had planned it to be that way. And I think if you go through all the Briscoes matches, right up to the stuff they were doing with FTR last year, they always had that sense of foreboding and they always had that sense of danger. But they were so damn intense and they would just drag you in so so effortlessly. And it's one of the reasons they, they have been going for so long. Like you cannot survive in any kind of industry for, what, 20 plus years or whatever it was, be, probably a bit less than that, but, you know, a long ass time, unless you have something about you, have the skill, and you don't sort of adapt and grow as performers. And they both did that. So to think that before you even get to 40, you're not here anymore. I mean, I don't even know what you can possibly say. Because he was a good guy. Both the brothers were. I met him in Puerto Rico. I don't know, probably, I don't know, seven, eight years ago. And I love that gimmick. They were two farmers from Delaware. Now that's a shoot to two farmers from Delaware. But if, if you watch them on TV, you think they were straight from the hills of West Virginia. That's what they, what they looked like. And they were great in the ring. I mean, they were just, they just had a different look about them. Of course they were brothers and I, I, I love those guys. It really, my condolences out to the family and the friends of Jay Briscoe. The very last show, which was in December, and they dropped the tag team titles to main event. They put those guys over, homegrown talents in House of Glory and the East Coast Independency, and two really good guys working with the Briscoes. I'm sure they would be the first to say it, elevated their game. They got to work with the Briscoes multiple times last year. It all built to this moment in December, and the Briscoes did business, and they put them over, and it was a great moment for the local crowd to see main event go over and win those titles and to see them embrace when the match was over, it was a special moment. And it did not hit me until this morning that I got to call the last match that Jay Briscoe will ever have. That match with main event was only a week after the match that they had, the dog collar match with FTR. 
That is the last match of the Briscoes. Was on that House of Glory show, and I mean the fact that that is their last match to me just doesn't compute in my brain. It just doesn't feel real. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know what to say. There's nothing I can say that's going to do any of this justice. Um, this one hit me particularly hard, and I, I'm not sure why. Uh, I think it's just the tragedy of it all because, you know, um, I was never, I've always been aware and respected the Briscoes, and anytime I watched any of their matches that I did see, um, they were all bangers, you know what I mean? So I've always had a very healthy appreciation for the Briscoes, but uh was not a regular watcher of Ring of Honor where they spent the majority of their career. So, you know, I haven't followed their career as closely as a lot of other people have. So uh, I don't have that perspective where he was, you know, one of my favorites that I watched for years and years and years. But uh, I've known him, obviously, for... God, you know, probably close to 20 years, really. You know what I mean? As early as I was aware of what Ring of Honor was, I was aware of who the Briscoes were. And, uh, man, the the legacy that they're leaving behind, and, and I say they because, you know, Mark is so synonymous with Jay. You know, Mark's obviously still with us, but, you know, the body of work belongs to the Briscoes for the most part, even though Jay... Certainly had his own solo career, a very successful solo career. He did reach the heights of Ring of Honor World's Champion, which not a lot of people can say that they have accomplished. You know, that's still a very high honor to have reached that far. Um, the, the body of work, the matches that were left behind that we'll go back and we'll watch for 20, 30, 40 years, I mean... I don't remember who said it, but the Briscoes will never be forgotten. They're going to be around long after all of us are are gone. You know what I mean? People are going to be talking about the Briscoes historically in their matches and everything. Um, but I think this one was just particularly hard because of the tragedy behind it. You know, we see a lot of death as wrestling fans in the wrestling world, but a lot of it is, quite frankly, due to a lot of the wrestlers' own doing in a lot of these circumstances, um, or maybe just some old age situation, you know, health issues that you kind of acquire when you get up there. And uh, it's rare that people in their prime, and I would argue, though, Jay's been around for 20 years, I don't think the Briscoes have ever been hotter or ever been had more awareness uh, on the uh, platform, you know, the mainstream wrestling platform. You know, I think they were really starting to, with the acquisition from AEW and all the cross-promotion, that I really think they were starting to reach a bigger audience and you know obviously those FTR matches really put them on the map for a lot of people so it's just you know you don't expect to lose people in their prime and then of course with the kids and everything it's the whole thing's just as, as sad as it gets but uh, I'm glad that the wrestling community was able to come together and remember Jay Briscoe the way that they did I've never seen such an outpouring of love, you know, maybe since Brody passed away, I think, perhaps was, you know, and then maybe not since Owen before that, as the community really come together and, and mourned uh, 
the tragic loss of somebody and and it makes me proud to be a member of this wrestling community because man you know there's so much love going around this week so much positive energy so much just we were all in it together and we all came together and i've just never been more proud to be a part of even just the smallest part of a wrestling community like that you know and uh, a good reflection of that is uh, there was a give, send, go, I believe, set up to aid in some of the medical bills with the family uh, for the two daughters. And, you know, of course, maybe funeral costs for Jay or whatever the family needs to take care of in this time. And I think the goal was 200000 and it was shattered. Uh, you know, wrestling, the wrestling community came through uh, with fucking five stars, seven stars, you know, a Meltzer seven star Tokyo Dome classic uh, with fundraising here um, in support of the Pew family. And, uh, you know, we've also gotten some good news on that front. The daughters are uh, doing better. One is stable now and uh, presumably will make a full recovery. The other daughter that was... uh, not able to move from the legs, the waist down, had a a successful surgery by all accounts and is now having feeling in her thighs and tingling in her toes was the last update that I was able to get. So that's fucking beautiful. And they said, it's not going to be immediate. You know, the surgery is not going to, okay, I can walk around now perfectly fine. Um, you know, she's going to have a lot of recovery to do, but it's a good sign that she's able to get the feeling and the tingling, and uh, it should start to come back as the pressure on those on those uh, vertebrae is taken off over time. So, God, man, I'm starting to get a little emotional again. I told myself I wasn't going to cry. Um, but it's... Wow. But uh, I'm glad we could all come together, and I'm glad that the wrestling world was able to remember and reflect and... Um, it was just a thing of beauty in a time of tragedy. And uh, thank you guys for being a part of it. And as the wrestling world mourned the loss of Jay Briscoe, it was Ring of Honor owner and AEW owner Tony Khan who had wanted to do a tribute show for Jay Briscoe much like he did for Brody Lee. And, of course, the tribute show was filmed and is going to be put up for free on Honor Club, the Ring of Honor's paid subscription site. It will be free. You can just go to it and watch. Uh, He did also say it would be on YouTube for free as well. But that was not the initial plan. Uh, Tony Khan had wanted to make that Dynamite episode last Wednesday the tribute show for Jay Briscoe, but apparently somebody in the network rejected it. They banned it. They blocked it. They refused to let AEW honor Jay Briscoe. They refused to let AEW mourn the loss of Jay Briscoe. Uh, All of this over a tweet that Jay Briscoe had sent out over 10 years ago now. And you got to remember, we've come a long way as a society in the last 10 years. 
Um, back then, it was controversial and it was not a good tweet, but it's not. Don't put it in 2023 context necessarily. You know, you got to remember this was not long after even President Obama, when he was elected, was against gay marriage. And uh, it was something to the effect of, you know, I'm not going to read the tweet or show it to you or any. It's not worth digging up. Um, But there were some homophobic comments as well as death threats associated with it. Um, for anybody that tried to influence Jay Briscoe's son based on his religious beliefs, not on bigotry necessarily, but on uh, the basis that he's a religious man and was always taught growing up that, uh, you know, that that's something that his God would punish or not allow. And of course, Jay has spent the entire 10 years since apologizing and earning back the goodwill of everybody around him. Not a person in the world has a bad thing to say about him. Not a person in the world has ever had an experience where they felt that they were um, ever looked down upon or, you know. Uh, Jay loved everybody by all accounts, and he was he was a great man to everybody, and he treated everybody well regardless of color, gender, sexual orientation, any of that. So uh, you would think that after 10 years of apologizing and making good and uh, righting those wrongs that, you know, the network would at the very least, you know, because remember the network did not want the Briscoes on AEW. And I think this is worth saying as well. Before we get into the clip, I know you're here for the clips. Just let me fucking rant. It's my show. Um, the, the It's worth noting that Tony Khan wanted to bring the Briscoes on AEW TV. He was not trying to bury the Briscoes. As soon as he acquired Ring of Honor, the Bris- he made an attempt to get the Briscoes on AEW proper put them on national TV where they fucking belong. Uh, But the network rejected it. They didn't want anything to do with the Briscoes. They were barely even willing to let the Briscoe. There was no video packages, nothing. It was a, a very clear and strict edict from the network that we do not want the Briscoes on our television station. Based on this tweet from 10 years ago that he spent the entire 10 years trying to uh, rectify and make good on. So uh, you would think at the very least that once the man has passed that they would allow, you know, uh, the wrestling community to honor the man and, and do a little tribute show at the very fucking least. But no, the network rejected this. We do not want any mention of this fucking guy on our tv and um it's it's a bullshit move it's a pissy shitty cunty move and i'm gonna rant on it a little bit more but before i do i want to play this clip here of jim Cornette. and uh cornet was emotionally charged up he did a about an hour long tribute to jay briscoe and it, man, you—he he cracked up so many times, you know, got very emotional. 
and uh, it's a very good listen. I have linked it down below in the description if you want to listen to the full thing if you haven't yet. Um, but check out this clip uh, of an emotionally charged Jim Cornette tearing Warner Brothers Discovery a new asshole and uh, giving him his two cents. Check out this clip. That some unnamed piece of shit who I would love to get the name of. And I promise you, if anybody can tell me his name, I'll tell a million people real fucking quick. I can promise you that. But whoever this fucking guy is that has never said anything wrong. You don't know. Or girl, I'm sorry. Executive or executive tress that has never said anything bad or done anything wrong or said anything regrettable in public, or it is perfect in every way, who works for a network that has never had a convicted felon on the wrestling program, Nick Gage, who has never had a convicted felon, not only a bank robber, but now a rapist, Mike Tyson, past the wrestling program, if we're doing criminal background checks on everybody, let's go to the rest of the programming you just mentioned. The network that doesn't air a television program from documented wife slapper Dana White about a bunch of mouth-breathing, knuckle-dragging fucking meatheads slapping a piss out of each other over and over until one of them gets brain damage and the other one wins less cash prizes than I get selling comic books in a month. They don't do that. I don't even watch any of the rest of these goddamn shitty programs that TBS and TNT broadcast these days, or I'm sure I could find some things wrong with people on them too. So how fucking cretinous of a goddamn inhuman piece of shit, slime from the puddle of ooze of the fucking pits of hell, do you have to be unnamed woman or man? that would not even let them show highlights and tributes to a guy who got killed taking his kids to cheerleading practice because of a mean fucking tweet. Fuck you. I'd goddamn double dog dare somebody in the sound of my voice or the fucking reach of this show to find out that name, and I promise you, I will broadcast it to the goddamn world along with any contact info that I can find out, and I would love the motherfucker to sue me. But in the meantime, why don't everybody write TBS and TNT and go, hey, fuck you. What kind of fucking pricks you employing over there? Yeah, I think that's about as low as you can get. Very scummy move by whoever made that call over at Warner Brothers Discovery. Um, look, I get if you have some sort of moral or personal issue with that tweet, but let it go, dude. Ten years ago, the guy has not said a goddamn thing since. It wasn't based on hate necessarily. It was more based on ignorance or religious beliefs. And it, it just, it, it wasn't coming from a place of hatred. And, uh, you know, there's people that have never let this go. And I don't know how this got on the radar of somebody at the network. 
because God knows there's been people on Warner Brothers television that have done just as bad, if not worse, or said just as bad, if not worse. Uh, You know, it's been pointed out that Dana White has a fucking show on your network immediately following Dynamite uh, called Slap Fight with two fucking morons slapping the piss out of each other. Some dude had his legit literally had the fucking memory slapped out of his brain. All of this after Dana White slaps his wife on fucking camera in, in public in front of everybody on New Year's Eve. And the network's okay with that. You can abuse your wife. Fine. Abuse your wife. We'll give you a platform. We don't care. But how fucking dare you cite your own personal religious beliefs. Um, it's fucking disgusting. It's fucking disgusting. Um, and look, even if even if you don't want the Briscoes on your network... To wrestle, that's even fucking stupid and bullshit, but point taken, okay? Whatever. It's your network. I get it. But the man has passed away. And not passed away because he did something wrong or or whatever the case may be that we see with 95% of every wrestler that passes. But he died fucking tragically on his way home or to fucking... His kid's cheerleading practice. Fuck you, Warner Brothers Discovery. Fuck you with a fucking twirling lawnmower. It's a nightmare on Elm Street reference. Um, we're... It's ignorance. It's fucking... It's, it, it, it's evil. It's this fucking guy needs to be called out. Letters should be sent to T- to to TBS to Warner Brothers. Uh, calls should be made. Emails should be sent. Pigeons, owl, whatever you want to fucking send something. Uh, they need to be put on blast, and that's uh, another reason why I wanted to do this. Hopefully, somebody somewhere collectively. You know, sees all of the outrage over this over at the network, and it can't be fixed now. The tribute show's been shot. It's gonna go up on YouTube and on the Ring of Honor network, but it should have fucking been on Dynamite, and that's the problem. This should have been on national TV. You shouldn't have been fucking buried on the internet somewhere. This is a man's life, a man that everybody in the wrestling community loved. A man that everybody in the wrestling community had a good thing to say about. A man that everybody came together to mourn the loss of. And they couldn't even fucking do it on national TV. Because some fucking dick face cunt up at the network has a hair up his ass about a tweet that was sent 10 fucking years ago. I'm sorry. Do you have any fucking emotional bone in your body? Do you have a heart at all? Can you not separate your fucking little piddly ass beef over a goddamn tweet 10 years ago from the fucking man's life? A tragic loss for this fucking man that we're all mourning, that we're all having a hard time getting through. From wrestlers that have worked in the ring with the guy to to piddly ass fans like me that have never met him, never talked to him. He touched us all in one way or another. And we can't turn on dynamite 
and we can't mourn the loss of this guy. We can't celebrate the life of this guy on national TV. People have to wear armbands. Excalibur can say something at the top of the show. But how fucking dare we air any kind of tribute, show any clips at all, have anybody talk about it, cut a promo about it. We've had Mike Tyson on the network. That's no problem. He raped somebody. He spent his time in prison. He paid his dues. He paid his debt to society. Don't hate Mike Tyson. You gotta. There has to be forgiveness in the world. Uh, and this goes out to, obviously, the network, but anybody who maybe even still holds a grudge against Jay for that tweet. There has to be forgiveness and there has to be redemption in this world. People have to be able to climb back. They have to be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Because when you turn people away from the light, they will continue to walk towards the darkness. You have to let people be redeemed. As long as they earn it, as long as they show it, as long as they truly seek forgiveness. By all accounts, Jay Briscoe has tried to live this down and, and you know we've got comments from Effie who's the gayest wrestler you'll ever see in the entire life he's gayer than Dalton Castle he's gayer than Gold Dust Effie is the gayest wrestler ever in the history of life and he has come out and said that Jay has been nothing but warm and welcoming and kind to Effie he's never felt any sort of Hatred, bigotry, tension, uncomfortableness, nothing, nothing at all. Jay wasn't a bigot. He was a religious man. He, is, he, he saw a world that tried to teach his kids that they are perfectly fine being gay when his religion taught him that that's a sin. And that could get his kids sent to hell. And obviously, everybody has their own beliefs. I'm not a religious man, so I don't buy into any of that. But you can't fault a guy 10 years ago, too. It was a different world. We've come a long way as a society. You cannot fault a guy in that time, in that era, for having his religious beliefs. This is what was being taught to him his whole entire life. So he's defending his children's honor. He's trying to protect his children. That's where he was coming from, right or wrong. I'm not defending the tweet. I'm not saying it was right. That's not where we're going with this. That's where he was coming from. It wasn't from a fuck you guys, I hate you. I'm so hateful and bitter. It's, it's, it wasn't coming from a place of hate. It was coming from a place of religious belief and protection for his child. And he has apologized for this up and down. He's talked about how he has been educated differently, that he's been that he has seen the error of his ways. And this wasn't just something he said to save face publicly. This is something that he has shown, as Effie would tell you, or anybody else that spent time in the locker room with Jay and, and Mark Briscoe. Um, you know, and it cost them a lot. They were looking at a WWE deal possibly at that time, and it cost them that. 
It has even since all the way up till now cost them an opportunity to be on AEW Dynamite. That's, you know, Tony Khan would have easily put them on TV. He's wanted to. The network refuses it. They reject it. They want nothing to do with them. And the network's a bunch of fucking cunts, in my opinion. This is very lowbrow. This is very... uh, It's disturbing that you can't put your heart in front of anything else. Because, look, this, this, whoever this executive is, they don't care, you know, unless they are a wrestling fan who is also a gay man that saw this tweet and, and took it personally and holds a personal grudge all these years later. Uh, it's simply one of those things where they don't want the backlash, you know, they're just looking out for themselves as a network. Like, hey, we don't want this this gay basher on our TV and then get all the fucking gay community sending us letters and yelling at us and, and condemning us for putting this gay basher on our television. That's all they're doing. They're just covering their own ass. But they never spent any time educating themselves on the situation, learning that Jay has been on a path of redemption this whole time, nor do they care that the wrestling world is mourning the loss, the tragic, fucking, sudden, tragic loss of this man. I bet national TV exposure would have done a lot of great things for their uh, give, send, go, which they've already exceeded their goal, you know, the wrestling community's already come together in spades on that anyway. But the network don't give a shit. They have no heart. They don't care. Uh, no remorse at all. Tony Khan had to take his tribute show. He had to film it after Dynamite when people are trying to leave the arena. You know, I've seen uh, photos, at least, of the Ring of Honor ring skirt being set up. And, you know, the arena looks half empty or more. Um, and that happens, you know, even after, you know, going to a dynamite, if you try to stay for rampage and watch that people start leaving, you know, it's, it's a lesser show, not as big of matches. People want to beat the traffic. They want to get the fuck out of there. You know what I mean? So, uh, it would have been great to have had that tribute show on dynamite in place of dynamite. Um, but. It wasn't to be because of some fuck at the network. And I agree with Jim Cornette. Uh, if we're able to out this bastard, we're able to find out who made that call exactly. I would encourage the Internet sleuths to figure that out and make it public. And Jim Cornette said he will make it very public, spread it around to a million people in a heartbeat, which he can. <clears throat> And then uh, I think we should all give them a piece of our mind as a community. Hopefully that doesn't end up costing AEW a a TV deal down the line, you know, because now we don't want to deal with all these bitchy wrestling fans. But it was a dick move. It was a dick move. It was a cunty move. It was a heartless move. And uh, I think, look, you know, I talked about we need redemption in this world. We need a path to redemption while we're still alive. Jay deserved that. You know, he showed every effort to make good on that tweet and to 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 apologize and to show a different way. And uh, 
People deserve redemption in life. But certainly in death, I think we need to let go of some of these things for people and uh, look at the bigger picture. You know, one bad moment does not define a man. It is their collective actions. And uh, if you listen to any person who has had anything to say about Jay Briscoe this week, you will know that this man, the sum of his actions, he was an amazing person and uh, deserved more. He, He deserved a lot more. And it wasn't for a lack of trying from Tony Khan, Ring of Honor, AEW, the wrestling community. It was some fuck sitting up in his fucking ivory tower in a suit with his thumb up his ass just saying, no, I don't think so. Piss off. Well, fuck you. Fuck your kids. Fuck your family. Fuck your job. Fuck you. Kevin Nash made the news this week after uh, some not-so-great comments on his podcast, Click This, with Sean Oliver. Uh, Kevin Nash is, has been, is and has been mourning the loss of his son, who uh, his son T, who passed away about 12, 13 weeks ago now at this point. Uh, he died of some sort of heart complications. And um, it's something I haven't talked about on the pod. Nash did Nash to to my surprise. I I couldn't do it. Nash has uh, continued to do his podcast each and every week. Even the week that T died, uh, obviously he had every reason to take that podcast off, but he he wanted to do it because it took his mind off of it. Or you know, it's good to talk to people when you're going through shit like that so uh i actually you know for better or worse he did that podcast and he's been doing it every single week and uh, one of the sad things about it is that t was a partner in the podcast with them um t was you know a a big tech guy behind the scenes you know he was kind of there basically producing for at least on nash's side i don't think he was the producer for the entire pod or anything you know, I think that goes to somebody over at Podcast Heat or whatever. But it was, uh, he was certainly there to kind of help Nash with his technical support. And he was always sitting in the room with Kevin while he was recording. And you could hear him laugh from time to time in the background. And, uh, you know, just another tragic fucking loss in the world of professional wrestling. And it, this was shortly after the the uh, loss of Scott Hall, Kevin's best friend, you know. So Kevin's having a hard, hard time. And he's doing his best every single fucking week to do this podcast with, with Sean Oliver. And it's a great podcast. Um, you know, they kind of talk about everything and nothing at the same time was the best way I've heard it put. You know, they don't necessarily get into wrestling. Uh, per se, maybe a wrestling topic here or there, but uh, it's been healthy for Nash to be able to do this since his son passed, but obviously if your child has passed away, it's not going to be easy, and it was in this particular clip right here 
where Nash, uh, you know, made a comment about it, and uh, it was in the voice of sarcasm, which I speak fluently, and we'll kind of address that on the back end. Uh, but check out this clip from Kevin Nash, and uh, it's not great. Today is week twelve. Wait, wait, I lost my boy. Today is, today is today is week twelve. Wait, wait, I lost my boy. Is it 12? It's three months. Yeah, 12 weeks. Time flies when you got a gun in your mouth. I mean, time flies when you're having fun. Don't play like that. You have guns, so you can't say those things. You can do whatever the fuck I want to do, as long as I leave a note. Yeah, that kind of jumped out to me as soon as I heard it. And, uh, you know, that was before it kind of took about a day or two for it to start to make the news cycle. And uh, it was shortly after that that the cops got involved and they actually showed up to Kevin's house. And they did a wellness check on him. And here is a tweet from Kevin Nash in response to said wellness check from the police. Everyone take a breath. Let's not take my biggest coping mechanism, sarcasm, in capital letters, and blow it out of proportion. I appreciate the concern and the fact that others find it a perfect time for insults. Continue to get your updates on TMZ and wrestling sites. I've got legs to train today. I call bullshit, by the way. Nash never trains legs. What's he talking about? Leg day. It's an upper body business, Rick Rude says. Kevin Nash has fucking beanpole legs. He ain't training no legs. Uh, <laughs> joking aside, though, um, yeah, sarcasm, man. I get it. I understand. Look, Nash is a is a bigger man than I am, uh, obviously, stature-wise. But, I mean, uh, you know, look, if it was my son, uh, I'd be right there with him before he was even cold. So, uh, you know, he's doing a lot better than I would in his shoes. And, you know, he's using sarcasm to get through it, to cope. And I understand that very much. Those who are, who, you know, speak fluent sarcasm will understand that it's, it's how you get through things sometimes is, is that dark humor and, and, and look, I get it, you know, uh, that kind of thing is, and I'm choosing my words wisely because we're on YouTube here, that kind of thing is not something that you want to joke about. So I get why fans were concerned or why there was a bit of, uh, you know, maybe some outrage there and why the call was made to have the police go check on Kevin. I get that. I get, I get where people are coming from. I just wish people would have, I guess when I heard it, I didn't read it as, uh-oh, we better start worrying about this guy. I kind of read it as what it was. Like, this is how you, this is how he's coping with this, is these stupid-ass dark jokes, you know? Uh, it's not funny. It's it's not cool to do that, you know? Even Sean Oliver was quick to say, Kev, don't say that. You know, she's like, I can say whatever the fuck I want as long as I leave a note. Um, I only laugh because I get Kevin's sense of humor. I, he's being sarcastic. He's using dark humor to get through a very dark 
hard moment in his life, you know, first his best friend in Scott Hall and then, you know, his son basically in the same year. I can't imagine what the dude is going through or, or, you know, how he gets through day to day. But I imagine, as he said, sarcasm is one of those ways to do that. And I think this is a tough one because my initial thoughts were like, leave the fucking guy alone. You're sending police to his house now. And look, Nash is an outspoken gun owner. And that's something that, you know, cops can go in and fucking raid his house and take all his guns away from him and everything else, too, if they wanted to over stuff like this. So it's it's, uh, you know, he can end up they, they can commit him. They can take him and fucking hold him in a mental place for however many hours to just watch him like any number of, of things could have resulted from this. Luckily, you know, for Nash, it was just a quick visit and, and he was able to kind of explain to the police, now I have no plans to do anything. And uh, they kind of left it there. But I think, though, there's no reason to endorse Nash's comments. Obviously, they were in very poor taste. But I think let's, as a wrestling community, let's have a little faith in Kev. That, you know, he's still here with us now, 12, 13 weeks later. And that, uh, you know, we all know he's a sarcastic prick. We all know he's a smart ass. We all know he's got that quick wit and that dark sense of humor. Scott had it too. That Let's all just kind of give Kev a little bit of space here. And let's all not try to play hero and crawl up his ass and and look i get it i get where you're coming from too what if something did happen or could happen and we could save the man's life i get that too um but i think we we, we should give kev good faith that he's just trying to get through this and let's give him a little space to get through it and to maybe say some stupid shit from time to time because he's in an emotional state right now that he's not thinking rationally. He's not talking rationally. He is trying to get through his fucking day every single day. He's just trying to get through. And uh, he's ha- having a hard enough time. I think, you know, on one hand, it, it's probably good to see the outpouring of care and concern for Kevin. But at the same time, I don't think he needs a lot of the, um, a lot of the negativity or or stupid comments that can come with this as well, as he did address. So let's leave fucking Kevin Nash alone for a little bit, and let him grieve and let him do him, and let's just kind of back off the gas a little bit on this one and and give him some space. That's my thoughts on it. I know that's what I would want if I was him. Like, if I'm making stupid comments to get myself through a bad, dark, hard, tough situation, the last thing I want is fucking cops showing up at my door asking if I'm okay or fucking idiots on the internet commenting about it. And, and look, man, just give, give the dude some space, all right? I hate juggalos. I fucking hate them. I say all this with a grain of salt because for a good part of my own life, I proudly identified as a juggalo. You should come to the gathering with me. Nah, man. I'm not into all that whoop whoop shit anymore. I'll pay for your ticket. 
he got fired today. Get the fuck out! Still got room for me? Spike, slow the fuck down! Cops! Fuck your sleep! Fuck your sleep! Fuck your sleep! The savages started closing in with their tiki torches and war paint. Shit. Run! You guys got a dead body here already? Even the aliens were throwing shade. It was pure panic and intense horror. There was a guy I saw got chopped in half. I had nothing left to go back to. You alive? <sighs> yep. The Gathering. A bold journey into the belly of the Juggalo underworld. WWE CEO, at least for now. Nick Khan was on the Bill Simmons podcast this week. I am not a sports ball guy, so I don't regularly listen to Bill Simmons, but I do know that he is a very big wrestling fan and a smart wrestling fan, too, by listening to this podcast. Uh, he definitely gets it. This was a fantastic podcast to listen to. This kind of stuff that gets my dick hard, to be honest with you. I love the business side of professional wrestling. I love the insider stuff. Uh, not just wrestling, you know. I follow the Hollywood insiders as well. And I just anything that's kind of inside baseball, behind the scenes, I love that kind of shit. I eat it up. So uh, this was an absolute treat to sit and listen to Nick Khan for a good hour. Well, no, it was a little less than an hour, maybe about a half hour, 40 minutes or so, talking about all things WWE. And, I mean, he got into everything. And Bill was a good interviewer. He did not hold back. He asked probing questions. And Nick Khan did this thing where, and we're going to play some clips here, but Nick Khan did this thing where he kind of danced around questions corporately, politically, you know, as any good politician would or any good, I guess, businessman, CEO type would do. They kind of dance around the tough questions. And Bill was really good about kind of coming back to it and being like, you didn't answer my question, though. I asked you this. And uh, kind of forcing Nick to give some answers on a lot of things. So this was a very good, very informative interview. I highly suggest you seek it out. And uh, it's on the podcast feeds. I did look on YouTube. I don't believe there's anything on YouTube about it. Um, but Nick talked about a wide variety of things. You know, he was all over the place. You know, the, I, it was hard picking out certain clips for this. I did grab a couple, actually, because... I mean, this whole podcast is is clippable, quotable, to be honest with you. But uh, a few gems here. Uh, the first thing I wanted to play is Nick Khan addressing Vince McMahon's return. You know, Bill was kind of like saying, like, uh, do we really want Vince back right now? What do you think about this move? And uh, Nick Khan gave a very corporate answer, but a very interesting answer at the same time. Check out this clip. Were you surprised that he's started to inch his way back? No, no, that that's Vince. Yeah. Anyone who knows him, who thought with a tweet, because I think he tweeted, you know, hey, I'm 77 now, time for me to call it a day or something to that effect, you know, when he stepped down, anyone who believed that, that was permanent doesn't know him. So let's unwind this. Vince McMahon steps down a year ago, all these revelations about different NDAs from years ago, goes in the Wall Street Journal. Um, he steps down and it seems like he's gone. Then he goes on SmackDown and just watching it from afar, the whole thing seemed insane. 
It was like, is this guy stepping down or not? Why is he on a show? Is he still around? People are wondering if it's a work. And now you have 10 months later, um, it really is starting to feel like the real life version of HBO's succession where Vince is now, he did what seemed to be from afar, like a, a board coup d'etat. Um, Stephanie stepped down. There were rumors you're gonna sell to Saudi Arabia, which I never believed. But from, we're watching this afar, so this seems insane. What is it like to be in the middle of this? Does it seem less insane? My thought has always been, there's only one boss at WWE and it ain't me. Um, Vince is obviously the founder, creator of the company. Um, he's also the controlling shareholder, which as you know, that's not a work term. Right. That's a legal term of art. So I think it was always my point of view, always Stephanie's point of view. At some point, he would come back. I think the way that he played it to me was smart, Bill, in that he went away for five, six months, uh, which people, meaning the audience, seems to like uh, when somebody does that. And he came back and took control back of his company as a control shareholder. So it is the public's company as a publicly traded company. But with that controlling share, uh, gave him a lot of authority and he used it. And I applaud him for doing so. So Nick kind of paints a picture that Vince was probably always going to come back. That, uh, you know, he said it outright, basically. Anybody that knows Vince knows he wasn't going to stay away. Stay away? Are you fucking kidding me? And he kind of praised Vince, you know, like, oh, that's that's just our Vince. And, hey, you know, when you're a creator, you got a vision. Um, no real acknowledgement of the actual dirty deeds that kept him. Uh, as a matter of fact, Nick Khan was very dismissive of the dirty deeds that led to Vince stepping down. Uh, basically dismissing them as just something that you have to get through, you know, lay low for a couple of months, let the heat die down, then you can come on back. And he even said, oh, I think that's just a Hollywood thing, right? Oh, you have to step down because of scandal, you know? Uh, <laughs> just a cold businessman. Uh, very smart guy, Nick Khan, and soothing. His, he's got that sexy radio voice. He should be a fucking radio host, a talk radio. You're listening to the sweet sounds of Nick Khan on WFON. Or whatever. I don't know. Whatever, whatever call sign you want to give it. Uh... I don't expect him to say anything different, right? He's not going to go out there and bury Vince, especially because Vince can snap his fingers and have Nick Khan removed in a heartbeat. As the chairman of the board, you can appoint and fire the CEO of your company. So Nick's job is to run the company day to day. He runs everything inside the company. And uh, Vince's job is to oversee him and the other board members and, and the daily activities of the board itself. So apparently this was the plan all along, right? Vince was going to come back when the heat died down and just kind of pick up where things left off. Though Nick is adamant that uh, Vince is not back to take over creative or anything, <laughs> at least not yet, right? We are already hearing rumors that Vince is back in the office and passing down notes, though we don't know that for sure. Uh, then it was in this clip where Simmons asked Nick Khan about the sale of WWE and, of course, you know, the Saudi rumors and that kind of thing that go along with it. He addressed 
Um, but just in general, the rumors of the sale and are they looking to sell? Are they going to sell? What kind of deal are they going to be looking for? Are they looking for a media company, a private equity guy? Are they looking for somebody just to buy a chunk of WWE? What's going on exactly? Nick Khan lays it out. Check out this clip. Yeah. So yeah, the imminent announcement that it's been sold already or privatized, whatever it was. Of course, if you're looking at it, connecting the dots, it made absolutely no sense. In terms of what the actual process will be, we're just starting it now. What's the sale process without telling me too much? All right, because I know you have some restrictions, but sure. you have a bunch of suitors. You have a price in your head. Vince obviously wants to sell. Um, I, I actually, sidebar question. Why does Vince want to sell? Is it an age thing? Is it like, what am I going to do? But the, the end, you know, I'm looking at the finish line a little bit here. Why not? Maybe this will be my final victory lap. Why sell now out of all times? I think he's ready. Uh, you know, I can't describe it as anything more than that after the last five months. And, and keep in mind, again, you engaged in empire building. You're still yeah. engaged in empire building. At a certain point, it's like, okay, how much more of this empire am I going to build? We continue to build it. He continued to build it until he stepped down five months or so ago. But I think in looking at a world of consolidation, the sort of, you know, standalone enterprise that owns 99% of its intellectual property. Yeah. With the media rights. And a library. And, and media and rights. A library, right? With the media rights coming up in October of 24, which means the process starts in a few months on that, certainly to go lock in a bunch of long-term deals. And then to sell or try to sell to everybody doesn't make sense. The timing was now. So even if you look at our annual shareholders. So you're saying you want to sell sell the company and then you do the deals. The, the new person that comes in, that would be their first order of the business would be to bang out the new 2024 media right deals. That's the goal. Unless yeah. one of the media conglomerates ends up buying it directly. Right. Right. Then they certainly wouldn't want it encumbered by long-term media rights deals elsewhere. So you have, so for people listening, you have possible, the streamers, all the usual suspects. You have a place like Endeavor, which has already bought UFC and figured out how to mine that IP in all those different ways. Um, what Are there any other lanes for suitors other than streamer or somebody like Endeavor? Is there somebody I'm missing? Could somebody with deep pockets just come in and be like, ah, I want to buy this, like yes. how the guy bought the Phoenix Suns? Yes. Um, the other, you know, avenue again on an unencumbered process, it's everyone you just mentioned plus private equity. So there's a lot of money out there. There probably aren't a lot of transactions in 2023. Yeah. So I think this one is going to get in a positive way, a heightened look by everybody to say, Hey, what could we build this to? And if there's folks out there who regret not being able to buy the Suns or not buying the UFC six, seven, eight years ago. You know, this is an opportunity that doesn't come around that often. Yeah, there's no bones about it. I've seen people, I think pretty much everybody's come around to it now, but I think a lot of people were even kind of as early as last week were saying that, you know, because I addressed it in my podcast last week. I've seen a lot of people on in the Facebook chats and on Twitter and all that. You know, the people, the wrestling fans saying, ah, pff, WWE's not going to sell. They're always for sale. No, no, no. They're they're for sale. They are officially for sale. And the idea is to get this deal done before they have to renew any TV rights deals because of the fact that it might be a TV company that buys WWE. 
And not only that, but you know, maybe there's the possible chance that they, the 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 TV deal won't go as good as WWE hopes it might, and that uh, you know, if they get lesser money or they don't get a raise, that could lower the value of the company too. Uh, I don't think that's the case, though. I think the landscape of television. Uh, regardless of the ratings that WWE is drawing, I think, uh, you know, there's a thirst for live entertainment, live sports-like content, must-see content on TV. So they'll get a good deal. But you don't want to sell a company to, say, NBC Universal, right? Comcast doesn't want to pick it up and then have a TV deal negotiated with Fox, for example, where... You know, we got in a separate company in NBC Universal that owns all their own TV networks that now uh, has to have a fucking, you know, what, three-year contract with Fox for no reason when they could just put it on their own networks. So uh, that's that's the game plan. What surprised me about this is that they're open for... They're open to partial buyouts, you know, so where uh, maybe Vince can still retain the portion that he owns and then somebody else could come in and buy the rest and they could take it private. All of these things are on the table at this point. And he did say that they were open to private equity deals as well. So they're not just looking for big corporations like Disney or Warner or Universal or Apple or any of these fucking cunts to come in and buy the company. Uh, they're open to just some rich ass dude with deep pockets to come in and throw his fucking dick on the table and buy the shit himself or themselves or a group of people. They're open to it all, uh, which leads me to my third clip here, as we've discussed last week and the wrestling world was kind of buzzing about it for a little bit, is that Tony Khan and Nick Khan have thrown their names in the hats as particularly interested in a possible buy of WWE as well. And though this has kind of been dismissed out of hand by, you know, the wrestling world, if they can put together enough private equity, if they can put together a deal between themselves and a couple other uh, rich motherfuckers that want to invest in WWE, WWE is going to sell to them. I don't give a fuck what anybody says. You know, Nick Khan or, yeah, Shad Khan, too many cons, all these cons. Uh, Shad Khan owns the fucking Jacksonville Jaguars and the Fulham football team over in Europe. And, uh, you know, they're going to sell to him. They're not going to look at a guy that owns the Jaguars and say that he's not worthy enough to own another fucking, of course they'll sell to him if he's able to put that money together. So, uh, but that doesn't mean that they're going to respect AEW coming in and buying WWE or at least Tony Khan. Nick Khan had many great things to say about Shad, but the kid, not so much. Check out this clip. So one recurring theme with Vince's career was that he kept having a challenger or there kept being these moments where it seemed like things might fall apart and then they didn't. And in the last couple of years, you had AEW. They come in as, as, probably the most polished challenger you guys have had in 20 years. You know, they had deep pockets, the TV, TV station attached to them, and somebody in Tony Khan running their business who was a real wrestling fan, who really dipped into the history of wrestling in a bunch of different ways with some of the angles. And 
realized that he had to be a little bit of a different competitor to you versus like what some other people have done, which is either get older wrestlers and try to compete with you that way, or basically just do what WCW did, which was just, we're going to do the same thing as you. We're just going to try to spend more money, do it better. They kind of countered it a little bit. They grabbed some ECW pieces and some indie wrestling things and some all Japan and all this stuff. And it seemed like a real competitor. It seemed like they had, at least in the in the wrestling community of the nerds and the people who love the five-star matches, all that stuff, they kind of tapped into that. Um, at what point did you feel like they were a threat? Well, how do you think they're doing now? Not as well. Right. I think uh, a couple things. I, I've never met the guy. Although I think they're having a better 2023 than 22, but anyway, go ahead. I, I think I've never met the kid, Tony Khan. Seems like a nice kid to me. I don't know him. Uh, I have met his dad, uh, who randomly I sat next to at some like sports business luncheon that Stephanie and I went to a year and a half or so ago. I thought the dad was as impressive as could be. I think there was a piece on him in the New York Times a year or so prior to that. Self-made billionaire, I believe Pakistani immigrant, could not be more impressed with him. Um, I like the pivots. I, I'm not as big of an NFL fan as you are. I don't follow it the way you do. Um, but I like the pivots he made. You make a mistake in hiring a certain coach a couple years ago, get out of that mistake, figure it out again. Yeah. So could not be more impressed with the dad. He made his money in the auto parts business, I believe. So he knows that inside out. I don't believe he's involved on the wrestling side of the business. I'm talking about storylines outside of financing it financing it. No, he's got the, just the pockets. Yeah, he, he has the pockets and that's awesome. And I'm sure his kid appreciates it, but I don't, I, I was never threatened by that. The kid, the kid seems like a nice kid. I don't know him very well. He seems like a nice kid. The kid, uh, complete disrespect by Nick Khan. Uh, you would expect nothing else though, right? Like, uh, I mean, he had very kind words for Shad, so I think the respect is there for Shad, but, you know, nobody takes Tony Khan seriously. Everybody looks at him as a rich kid's son playing with daddy's money, and uh, it's all a big fucking joke to everybody. And, you know, at the end of the day, when you break down to bare bones, that is what Tony Khan is. He's a rich kid's son playing with daddy's money, playing his little fig fed together, you know, his real life fig fed. But, you know, he's doing quite well with it. He's got a TV deal, which is something that nobody in professional wrestling has ever been able to accomplish before. Sure, the smaller companies like Impact could get on, what, Anthem or fucking, you know, I guess they had Spike at one point, which was a decent TV deal. So it happens, but nobody, nowhere on the level of a TBS, TNT, um, the primetime spotlight, The it's... You know, this is a big accomplishment that Tony Khan was able to do. And to, I mean, look, AEW's been around for four years now. And they haven't flopped yet. And they, they're showing no signs of going away. They've hit a couple rough patches now. The COVID hit them really hard. And then, obviously, the CM Punk situation really hit them hard. And, you know, Triple H taking over creative and Vince stepping down. That hit uh, AEW hard as well. So they've weathered a few storms at this point, and they've still come out ahead of, you know, they're, they're still hanging. They're still out there. They're still number two, a close number two. Um, 
So I think people dismissing Tony Khan, I think it's a part of that's just ego. I think people just look down on Tony, especially wrestling fans. I think they're all just fucking morons and they don't know what they're talking about. You know, they listen to a Jim Cornette. Yeah, Tony Khan's fucking, you know, he's a Mark, a rich kid's son, you know what I mean? Um, I think anybody can clearly see that he is running a good business there. He's not, he's certainly not running, whether, what, regardless of whether you like the content or not, you can't look at the business of AEW. And of course, they're private, so we don't know their numbers. Uh, but Tony had said at the very least that AEW was. Uh, would have been profitable had it not been a, a large investment into the video game, which will make them a shit ton of money if it's any good. So, uh, you know, I don't think Tony's running a bad business here. And, you know, he's doing quite well with the Jaguars right now as well. So it's like, I don't know. I think you're dismissing him. And I think this is... We're in the internet area, so everything's louder and amplified, but I think this is very reminiscent, at least to me, of when a young Vinnie Mac took over for his daddy's company. Uh, now, of course, he bought it out. He did buy it. Um, with a, you know, He put his own money up, and off the success of WrestleMania, you know, he was able to buy out the various partners that owned the WWF for Capital Wrestling. But he did... It was young Vinny, little Vinny, Vinny Jr., uh, stepping in and taking over daddy's company that he had already set up. You know, Vince didn't start it from scratch. Now he turned it into the global phenomenon that it is. But that also happened over time, right? Uh, it, a lot of the wrestlers, the old time wrestlers, didn't respect Vince. They called him little Vinny. Hey, little Vinny. And you know they weren't they didn't have any respect for Vince. He was the boss. He was he was Vince McMahon. He was Vince McMahon Senior's kid. He was just you know all the old timers that were around in the seventies and the very early eighties saw Vince as just Vince's kid, little Vinny. You know what I mean? No respect for the guy. Vince hates being called Junior. He hates being called Vinny, which were things that all of the guys called him. <laughs> <laughs> and Vince was able, Vince had to wait a generation essentially to kind of weed all that out of the industry and to start to be taken seriously. And really, it wasn't until he got into the 90s, late 80s and 90s, that people started to uh, look at Vince as the man. And now, you know, into the 2000s and, and 2010s and the 20s, where Vince has been able to kind of hone his image as the boss and, and all of that. But. All of that to say, I think a lot of people have forgotten that, you know, Vince, well, Vinny Jr. was a young uh, dis, uh, a young man who uh, had to earn a lot of people's respect when he first stepped into the wrestling business, taking over his rich daddy's business. So uh, I think, you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30, 40 if Tony Khan's still around running AEW, I think the respect will be there. He's just he's a young kid, the same age as the wrestlers, and you know, he's competing against the machine right now. So it's gonna get him a lot of flack and a lot of hate. But I think people are sleeping on him and, and Nick Khan, very dismissive. Just kinda wrap this up and bring it back to Nick Khan. Very dismissive. 
Um, but, you know, he went on to say, like, nobody's really competition. He doesn't sweat anybody, really. And, and not that they should be sweating AEW either, but just the dismissive tone of it was kind of kind of rude, I suppose. But uh, I would expect nothing less. Nick Khan seems like exactly what we've all heard. He's a smooth talker. He's got that silky fucking radio voice. Uh, he's got a very political politically correct answers he's good at tiptoeing around questions or wording them in a way that uh is favorable to him and the company um he speaks very much like an executive and he sounds like he fits right in with the wwe structure fits right in with what vince would like and uh, there's no doubts at this point that nick seems firmly in the lap of vince mcmahon even though he was amongst the board members that unanimously voted to keep Vince out. And trust me, Vince will never forget that. You know, he might have Nick around now, but he has not forgotten that Nick might have been a player acting against him behind the scenes. So for now, Nick Khan is the CEO of WWE, and he is running the day-to-day. And... I highly recommend checking out this interview. There's nothing I could say that's going to do it justice. The whole thing, there's just gems all throughout it, and it gives you a really good insight into the man Nick Khan, as, not his personal life or anything, but just as he sees the business and kind of his whole perspective on you know how he sees WWE and where WWE is going from here. And it looks like a sale is very imminent. And, and he made no bones about that. So this is going to be a very interesting year, and I'm here for it. I'm excited to see how all this develops. But what are your thoughts? Let me know down in the comments below if you've heard Nick, if you've heard that interview, or just based off of the clips that I've presented you here. Leave your thoughts on all of those, and I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next. Well, Dax Harwood's podcast, FTR with Dax Harwood, is continuing to make news in the wrestling world. This week, over comments about Vince McMahon himself. Uh, you know, it was last week where we kind of speculated on here on this show as, as FTR uh, on the FTR podcast, Dax kind of addressed what's next for FTR. You know, they said that they've asked for time off. And that they might not be back on TV before their contract is up in April. They've asked for the time off to kind of, for one, heal because they've had a fucking brutal year. But also to kind of reflect and figure out as their contract is about to come up, what is going to be their next move? And a lot of people were starting to speculate, oh, FTR to WWE confirmed again, you know. And uh, Dax didn't quite show his hand last week, but uh, he did make the comment, I'll tell you this thing, we're not going to be disrespected by anybody, I'll tell you that. And it kind of made people speculate, well, is, there, you know, is this a Young Bucks gimmick? Is this a Tony Khan not using them properly on TV? Perhaps, but I think we got more light shed on this subject that kind of points in different direction here uh, as... Dax Harwood kind of addressed, they were talking about on this week, they were talking about, uh, it was uh, FTRKO was the name of the episode. It was kind of during uh, going over that short-lived faction where the revival was teaming up with Randy Orton and kind of feuding with like the New Day and shit like that at that time. 
And uh, in this particular clip, Dax talks about the episode where the Revival won the SmackDown Tag Team titles. And they came back to the locker room, and or they came back through the curtain. They were super high on themselves. They hot, thought they had an incredible match, an undeniable match, as FTR always has. And uh, when they came back through the curtain, the old man was sitting there, and he had uh, a different opinion of the revival. Check out this clip. We got to the back after we won the belts, and we were all proud of the match, all four of us, man. We were super happy about the match. We come to the back, and Vince is there waiting for us, off his headsets, and I'm hoping that since he's off his headsets, he's going to tell us that was incredible. That was a great job. That was storytelling, right? So he come to us. He goes to New Day, and he says, hey, great job, guys. Thank you. I appreciate that. They walk off. He leaves me in cash there, and that's when he says, everyone tells me that you guys are the next great tag team. Everyone tells me you're the next Arn and Tully. Well, that's your problem. You are the next Arn and Tully. You're just great wrestlers. That's all. And he walks off. And I'm like, this son of a bitch thinks that he just hurt my feelings by saying that. But he didn't. He made my dreams come true by telling me that I'm I'm the next, we're the next Uh, Arn and Tully. uh, uh, That we're just a great tag team. We're just great wrestlers. Uh, And, you know, he just didn't he didn't like us he wasn't enamored with us but he didn't like us for some reason and he made sure to tell us that that day and uh we're with just your, not with your new titles in your hands. with our brand new belts in our hands you know on a high we're the first ever wwe triple crown tag team champions uh wwe raw wwe smackdown wwe nxt no one else had ever done it at the time except for us. And we were so proud of that moment. And he decided to take a shit on us in that moment. And that's the kind of things as a human being, I will never forget uh, how you try to make people feel because the fans were with us. So obviously we didn't hurt your business. Um, we went out there, put our life on the line for you, for your company. And coming back to the back with as much endorphins running through our body and you decide to say that to us, that's uh, one of the things I can't ever forget. And we talk about what I'm going to do in the future. And now that I think about that and with him back at the helm uh, makes things a little questionable for me. What a dick. What a fucking dick Vince is. We've all known this. But this is a very good shining example. You know, everybody likes to kiss Vince's ass and talk about the hugs he gives people. And, oh, he told me he was proud of me and all this fucking shit, you know. But I think it needs to be noted that Vince is a fucking asshole uh, a lot of times as well. He's a hard man to please. He likes what he likes and he doesn't like what he doesn't like. One thing he doesn't like is good old Southern style wrestling. He likes the sports entertainment. We all know this. And uh, despite FTR being as good as any tag team could ever get, in my opinion, the best tag team on the planet right now, and probably was at that time too. Uh, But that's not good enough for Vince. Vince doesn't want the best tag team in the world. He doesn't give a shit what you can do inside the ring. Oh, you're the second coming of Arn and Tully? That doesn't do shit for me. Fuck those guys and fuck you guys. I want a sports entertainer. I want you with a clock around your neck and you with a fucking beanie hat on. 
Do it. Let's go. Let's get the gimmicks going. Let's get some characters. Let's get some personalities. And look, Vince built a, a whole fucking multi-billion dollar company off of characters. You know, so I'm not saying that this is a wrong way to do it. You know, Vince understands that people want personalities that they enjoy watching on TV. They want to be entertained. And Vince feels because he's not entertained by a good match, a good fucking in-ring match. And, you know, this is something I think uh, Bruce Pritchard has been asked before. Does Vince even like wrestling? And Bruce will be like, oh, yeah, Vince, Vince loves a good wrestling match. Fuck that. Vince doesn't give a shit about a good wrestling match. Vince cares about characters. And, uh, you know, look, FTR is, they are fairly personality-less, you know what I mean? But they're, their gimmick is that they are the best rest, tag team wrestlers on the planet, and that's a gimmick enough for me. They, they've got, you know, personality enough for me. They're good old, good old boys, tough guys, you know what I mean? That fucking promo where fight like an eight-year-old girl... You know what I mean? Like they got it. They that they have everything that they need. They don't need fucking uh, you know, they don't need to go out and do cartwheels and fucking wear bright colors and and they don't need all that shit. So, when Dax talks about I'll tell you one thing, we're not going to be disrespected by anybody. People speculated is that AEW is that the Young Bucks? No. I think it's been made perfectly fucking clear here. Uh, and Vince, or Dax even said that, uh, you know, in light of the current situation with Vince coming back, that that definitely does kind of, you know, make them look at their situation of free agency a little differently. The money's in WWE. That's where the money is. But Dax said on this episode, that they were given up to $750,000 they were offered from WWE. Of course, they would have been cut, you know. <laughs> Wasn't the good, the good Brothers were offered that kind of money, too? You know, it was in the period where WWE was handing out insane, ridiculous contracts because Tony Khan was coming around. And then once AEW was up and running for like a year, WWE just decided, ah, fuck all these contracts. We're just going to cut all of these guys, every last one of them. Fuck them. So I, I think FTR probably would have been let go anyway. They wouldn't have even got that fucking money. But they were offered a very hefty paycheck to stay in WWE, and they walked away from it. So even though the biggest paycheck is in WWE, and that doesn't mean that Tony Khan can't cut a pretty fat check himself. I think we all know that. Right, Chris Jericho, my boss has more money than your boss. Uh, Tony Khan's not offering peanuts, I'll tell you that much. But, you know, if they're sitting back and they're looking at it, do we want to go back and end our career after all of this shit that we've done? And look, they've been kind of buried in AEW to a certain extent, and there's probably politics there with the Young Bucks. And Dax has been very PG about this and very... You know, he's he's being very respectful and he's not dishing any dirt on the Young Bucks at all. Though I think we can all kind of clearly see that there's something going on there. Despite that, look at their fucking career this year. New Japan, Mexico, fucking Ring of Honor. These guys have been out there tearing it up. And they're not going to be able to do that shit uh, in WWE. They're not going to have that free reign. 
And it's ultimately going to depend on, you know, the paycheck and, and how they're going to be treated. But I think Dax has made it pretty clear to that. You know, look at the disrespect to that Vince. Like, ah, you guys are just wrestlers. I don't give a shit about you guys. You know, whatever they end up getting signed to WWE for, you think they're going to get pushed as the one of the best tag teams in the world, if not the best? No. You think they're going to fucking... Be it was little things even he was talking about on this podcast like when they were working with Randy, you know they had this this spot set up where you know like uh, the the three Randy and the revival were all gonna kind of overwhelm Kofi Kingston you know and and work the numbers game and Randy was very adamant that they were all seen as a faction and and Vince was like no. We want uh, we want Kofi to bump the FTR because they're a couple jobbers, and then Randy can come in and beat the shit out of Kofi. That's what I want. <laughs> and Randy stubbornly pushed back against this, and Vince even more stubbornly refused. Fuck that. He just doesn't see it in FTR. So if he's coming back, and though he's not the head of creative, and Triple H is. Uh, Vince, you know, Nick Khan made it very clear in his recent interview with Bill Simmons that we covered earlier on the show in a different clip. Vince is in charge. This is Vince's fucking company. And if he wakes up one day and decides he wants to step in and have a hand in creative, he will. He's back to facilitate a sale or a media rights deal. But what happens when getting the company in sale shape or getting prepared for the next TV deal, Vince decides that that uh, this requires me changing up the product. You know, this requires me cutting some of the talent to make the balance sheet look better. Like we all speculated that day that they cut so many people uh, a couple years ago. Or you know, we just got, I got to step in and I got to fix this booking right now because. We got a media rights deal, so we can't have guys like FTR on TV. Fuck those guys. Um, These are the kind of things that Dax and and Cash are going to have to really take a hard look at. And, uh, you know, I kind of speculated that they'll probably take some time off, work independently, and then go back to WWE for that final run, that giant paycheck, and to retire with as much money and a legacy as possible but if it's vince's ship and he's running it or somebody else buys it that they don't know or trust or vince is kept in charge or whatever ends up happening there with this mess that's going on with wwe it has to give the uh the revival ftr dax and cash it has to give them pause and really make them think about what's going to be best what's their next best move and uh, I don't know that it's not re-signing with AEW at this point. Because at the very least, they'll be able to use that to continue to have a career in New Japan and in AAA as well. So we'll see how all that plays out. But Vince uh, <laughs> coming back definitely shakes up the landscape again. Dave Milliken was on Talk Is Jericho this week. Dave Milliken, of course, a famous belt maker in the professional wrestling industry. He is the man who took over from Reggie Parks, who made this bad boy right here. And I think it's no secret that this is the greatest wrestling championship belt that has ever been created in the history of life. 
I think seconded only, or I think uh, the only thing that comes close, is, I, I should say rather, would be the big gold, uh, the you know the one that Ric Flair debuted in the NWA. Um, big gold and this bad boy here, the Winged Eagle, two of the greatest championships of all time. But this one holds a special place in my heart, and I know it does yours as well. Uh, I'm a giant belt mark. I fucking love belts. I've I, ever since I was a little kid, I was fascinated with belts. I made the cardboard belts. I made them with tin foil. I had the uh, toy replica belt back in the day, the the shitty one that was like a. Uh, <laughs> in the early '90s, they made them like um, it was like a hard plastic, like plate base, I guess, with like a foil sticker on it, and then it had like a foam strap with Velcro and stuff. And then, uh, of course, now they still got the foam belts for the kids, and then they got these bad boys, these real life replicas, and just you know, I've never stopped being a belt mark. I've always, always loved belts. And this has always been my favorite. So this podcast uh, with Chris Jericho and Dave Milliken really caught my attention. I loved it. Uh, I highly recommend listening to it if you are a belt mark because they just talk all about championship belts. It's great. Um, But I thought uh, because of the popularity of this bad boy right here that uh, this particular clip from Talk is Jericho this week uh, was on the the making of the Winged Eagle title, this belt that we all cherish so much from our childhood, one that is widely considered to be the greatest championship of all time. How did it come about? How was it made? Who had the idea? What was the idea? And, and how did Reggie Parks make it? Check out this clip. So are you in charge of the design of this and kind of how do you go about that? Yeah, in that in that case, because it was a time, of course, this is already into the late 90s, and I've done some other stuff uh, outside of Memphis, really, but nothing notable. And if it was shiny and it looked good on television, right, right, that's right, all right, they right, cared right. about. You know, it was, then nobody, was, nobody was micromanaging. And really, that's the Reggie way, too. I mean, so many designs that people look at are, you know, iconic championship belt designs were an afterthought to Reggie because, you know, the, the classic winged Eagle title, they call it the, you know, the Bret Hart belt or the, the Shawn Michaels or the people you associate that winged Eagle title belt with was a phone call from chief Jay Strombo to Reggie saying, we want a belt where the Eagle consumes the main plate. Hmm. And the rest of it was Reggie and his team. And it kind of, in Memphis, it was the same way. It's like, uh, we need a new USWA heavyweight belt. What can you do for us? <laughs> you know, right, right. Isn't that fascinating? It is for me, at least. Fucking Chief J. Strongbow calls up <laughs> Reggie Parks. He's just like, hey, we need a belt. We want the Eagle to be the biggest part of it. And that's it. That was all he said. And clearly, you know, the winged Eagle, the Eagle does take up the, the majority of the plate. But look at the beauty in this fucking thing. Look at the detail in this. And just, ah, oh, it's so classic. So fucking gorgeous. And, uh... Apparently, this was just another day at the office for Reggie Parks. wasn't a big deal to him. He just kind of whipped it together, just like, eh, okay, we'll put an eagle here. We'll put world there. We'll put heavyweight there. And I also found it fascinating that Reggie still owns. Actually, you know what? I don't even know if Reggie's still alive. He's not in the business anymore, that's for sure. You know, he's kind of Dave Milliken was like his hand-picked successor 
to this and kind of you know mentored him coming up and in the belt making process and uh, I found it interesting that they still retain the rights to this belt that the design and I always found that fascinating because if you go back and you watch other independent promotions over the years ECW was one for example ECW had a very similar title to this one right here um, same basic design just different logo and stuff and you'll see that and I believe that was the case with the Intercontinental title, too. Didn't the Dudley boys hold tag team titles that were essentially just the old OG Intercontinental title? And I always wondered, are they just fucking copying the WWE models? You know what I mean? Or, But no. Uh, apparently, Reggie, he, when he created it, he retained the rights to this likeness. So if some other fuck came along and they're like, hey, I want a belt, too. They could just use this design and slap their fucking logo on it instead of the WWE's logo. And bada bing, bada boom. They got a fucking championship belt, a Reggie Parks original. Uh, it's just, it's so endlessly fascinating for me. I love it so much. Uh, Milliken talked about a lot of different things as far as the belt making process, who he's worked for. I wish one thing they didn't go through is he didn't specifically name every single belt that he's made. Um, he did say that he made the AEW title. Uh, apparently, AEW is now outsourcing their belt making to somebody else. Milliken does come with a very high price tag, but he did the um, the AEW title, which he says is the best title on TV right now, which I agree. The AEW title is a thing of beauty, and as Milliken point points out it's a statement maker you know it's the biggest title it's the gaudiest title it's there's no mistaking it for anything else at all and it's i think the aew world title is fucking gorgeous personally uh it's a beautiful design that's a dave milliken design milliken also did the ufc belts not the stupid octagon ones that they got now their belts are so fucking trash man i hate the ufc belts i don't know why they switched um New Japan, same thing. It must just be that Milliken's too expensive or something. I don't know. Because, like, UFC had those gorgeous belts, like the ones that Ronda Rousey had when she was in her run and, uh, you know, some of the early belts that Conor was holding and that kind of thing. Those The, the bigger, golder ones that they were basically all gold and they had, like, the fence in the background. And those UFC belts were fucking gorgeous. And then all of a sudden they just switched with, I don't know if it was just the new owners wanted to put their new stamp on things or something. And they switched those ugly-ass titles. I don't know what the fuck they were thinking. Same with New Japan, man. New Japan had some gorgeous gold belts. The Intercontinental title... The uh, and still even their U.S. title I think is pretty gorgeous though a little a little gaudy in my opinion, but their the IWGP Heavyweight Championship, the IWGP Intercontinental Championship, uh, those were gorgeous fucking belts. They were so well done, and uh, they they switched to these weird. They're smaller. They got the like crowny pointy things on them. They look like trash. Look at the belt that Okada used to hold, and now look at the belt that he holds. It's fucking, it's dog shit. It's a, it's an ugly belt. But, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Milliken's work. He does a great job, and, you know, he, another fun thing that he said, I'll wrap this up here quick, but I just kind of want to give you the highlights of this thing. That's what we're doing here. I'm talking about podcasts. Um, 
He talked about that if you order a replica and that uh, I think he I think he said he might not be in the replica business anymore. But for a while, he was doing replica belts like you could order a replica through Dave Milliken. Um, he said like he wasn't able to use like the OG WWF logo on it or anything like that. Maybe you had to put your own logo there. But he would do these replica belts and he would do them. He said, like, if you bought a Dave Milliken replica belt, or uh, you were getting a belt that was handmade in the exact same way that the ones on TV are. So you weren't getting one of cheaper material like this one. This is a WWE shop.com. This is obviously not a, a multi-thousand dollar title. By the way, he said that AEW title was about a 10 grand belt. 10,000 in that bitch. But he said, you know, even uh, special order replicas can get up into the thousands, but they are made exactly. You know, if you were to have bought from Dave Milliken himself a copy of this belt right here, it would be no different than the very same belt that those guys wore on TV. Same fucking thing. Uh, Just if you're a belt mark, go listen to this if you missed it. I can't recommend it enough. Now, if you don't care about belts, there's nothing of value to you here at all. This is just some very in-the-weeds nerdy talk about championship belts. If you're a belt mark like me, you're going to fucking love it. Talk is Jericho with Dave Milliken. Uh, If you're not a belt mark, it's skippable, I suppose. You don't really care. You don't care. But I fucking do. I love this belt. I love hearing about the history of it, the story behind it. And I wanted to share it with you guys, but I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next. Leave your thoughts down in the comments below. Well, everybody and their mom was talking about the WWE last week with the whole big Saudi sale situation. And amongst those people talking about the WWE was none other than Joe Rogan himself. The world's biggest podcast was talking all about the WWE spreading tons of misinformation about uh, the WWE Saudi sale. Uh, Rogan had comedian uh, Shane Gillis on the show, who is uh, apparently a wrestling fan. By the way, he's talking, or at least a casual wrestling fan, in the sense that you know your jock, your typical jock bro, is a, is a peripheral wrestling fan. You know, maybe doesn't watch it week to week, but he'll catch like the Royal Rumble or WrestleMania, those kind of guys, you know what I mean, that watched it as a kid. Uh, And they were all just having a good laugh about WWE and all the different shit. Here's uh, the guys, Joe Rogan, Shane Gillis, and some other fuck, I don't know, talking about the WWE on the Joe Rogan experience. What What do you think about the Saudis buying the WWE, the rumor? The unsubstantiated rumor I've that heard the it. Saudis are. You met Lemaire. He's he's an autistic man. He loves WWE, <sighs> and he he's not happy about it. Yeah, he was very mad last he's night. He's upset in the green about why? <laughs> All him and Tony would do was talk about uh, it last night. Tony in the green likes room. wrestling. Dude, they were gonna, very upset. Are they going to let like the wrestlers hit women and shit? Well, that's the thing. They're saying they they might not. Their conspiracy <laughs> is. <laughs> No women. They're going to be able to bulldog all of them. You ever go to one of those? A wrestling? No. Tony's been trying to get me to go it's to WrestleMania so forever. It's so fun. For, uh, but now that the Saudis bought it, allegedly. Is yeah. that real? What's the... What's no, the not still not real? Damn. We, did we Snopes that yesterday? They were, looking, they were still investigating it. It's going to be cool. Mm. If the Saudis get it, there's a chance it gets better. Who owns it? Does Vince McMahon still own it now, or is he focused on Well, they on kicked this? him out because he got busted with a bunch of floozies. Yeah, he's... What? 
paying a bunch of ladies with who'd company have, company cash. Who would have thought all that something. money went to that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got to keep people. Look, if you look like that and you're seven years old and you're the head of the WWE, you're slinging dick. Yeah, what I'm do you want him to do? What do you want him to do? I'd be more disappointed if he wasn't slinging dick. Yeah, if, if he was a McMahon. faithful married man. He's a gigantic <laughs> barbarian man who's like 79 yeah, years old. Awesome. He works out with a chain around his neck. Has you ever seen how jacked he is? It's funny listening to people talk about wrestling that don't have a fucking clue about wrestling. I always find that interesting, you know? Like when they were showing a video of Mae Young getting powerbombed off the stage by the Dudley boys. And they're just, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, this old grandma. And then they call, somebody called the Dudleys the Dudley twins. And just little shit like that. Or reckless, recklessly speculating about the uh, Saudi sale. Well, I heard it sold to the Saudis. So um, obviously not the case. But that's what happens when everybody runs with that news. It starts to trend. It's popular, and then you know mainstream people pick up on it, and they report it as fact or rumor. And uh, none of that was the case, of course. But uh, Rogan had a good laugh on his show about the WWE, and I always find that interesting. Hearing other people talk about the industry because we're so inside of it, right? We know everything that's going on, but when things cross over into the mainstream, it's always funny to see. And uh, they had a good laugh about it, Rogan. Uh, you know, historically, famously, has a pretty solid disrespect for pro wrestling, though, you know, he's had wrestlers on the show, and I think, you know, he doesn't outright hate wrestlers or anything like that, but he's one of those meatheads that dismiss wrestling as, oh, it's that fake shit where you pretend to fight, you know what I mean, you want to watch a real fight, watch UFC, you want to watch those fake pretend fuckers, all the while missing the point that this is entertainment, this is a spectacle, this is the storytelling. This is, you know, there's a lot more to this than we are pretending to fight and trying to fool you into thinking that it's a real fight. I fucking hate people that look at wrestling that way. They just don't get it. But uh, I think Rogan's coming around slowly, interviewing different wrestlers and that kind of thing. He'll get it. He'll, he'll pick up on it. Um, but wanted to share that with you guys just because something that kind of crossed over into the mainstream from the pro wrestling world uh it's always fun to see those kind of things but what are your thoughts did you watch that episode did you watch those any other clips about this uh do you have any particular thoughts on when uh people outside of the wrestling business talk about it always funny to see leave your thoughts down below i'm gonna go ahead and move on to the next Jade Cargill was on the Bootleg Kev podcast this week talking all about her AEW career. I am not familiar with Bootleg Kev. I have never heard that name at all until this week with this particular episode. But I like the guy. Uh, just listening to the episode, he's funny as shit. He's got kind of a uh, he's got a fun attitude. And he does sound like a wrestling fan. Matter of fact, Jade kind of made fun of him for being kind of a wrestling nerd. So uh, he's very like in the know about wrestling. And he's talking about wanting to go through a table and stuff. If he ever got famous enough, I'd love to get invited on and go through a table. It was almost like he was kind of half-ass asking Jade if she could get him in. Um, but you know, at least when these people, because you hear so many people outside of the wrestling business 
that when they interview wrestlers, there's a certain like idea of how they think about wrestling or a way that they look at it. This guy's a big fan though, and it's you know it's different when you get an actual fan. And he got Jade Cargill on, and this was another one of those podcasts this week where I could have picked any number of clips out of this. The whole thing is a treasure. If you're a Jade Cargill fan, you know, I, look, I know she's got a lot of her haters out there, so you can pass on it if you like. But obviously, if you're watching this, I think you at least care to some extent about Jade Cargill, or maybe you care about punk. I don't fucking know. But Cargill was on there, and it was just a great podcast, man. I could have pulled so many different clips. Her talking about working with Mark Henry and how she got into the wrestling business. Like, how, you know, how she actually made that transition and what she thought, like wrestling. We're talking about wrestling all the way up to her respect for it now and how hard she's working. And she just comes off as so fucking such a class act. I love Jade personally. I'm team Jade. You know, when she first came in to the business, I, I looked at her like, who's this bitch? You know what I mean? And like her promo was kind of meh. And, like, she wasn't that great in the ring. And it took me a little while to warm up to And she's still not that great in the ring. And her promos still aren't that great. Um, but I just love Jade Cargill endlessly. You know, anytime I hear her talk, these interviews, she's so smart. She's so well-spoken. She's so passionate about the business. Her head's in the right place. She's motivated like a motherfucker. And, you know, as she said, she's wealthy, independently wealthy. And her husband is wealthy as a pro baseball player she does not need to be a pro wrestler she could be at home with her daughter and modeling she does it because she has a love for it she's got bit by the wrestling bug so i fucking love jade cargill but that's just me um but she was in this particular clip i think was the most newsworthy i suppose as it kind of made the rounds this week where she talked about her thoughts on CM Punk and working with CM Punk. You know, people have, there's a lot of bad press about CM Punk out there over the summer, up until just kind of recently when Dax was one of the first people that kind of broke the news about, hey man, Punk's a good guy. And now a few other people have kind of come out of the woodwork as well. Will Hobbs has said, said as much. Ricky Starks has said praises about uh, Punk. And now, Jade Cargill. Check out this clip. You said that you were hanging out with CM Punk quite a bit. Yes, at Comic-Con. Uh, what was something that you learned from Punk? Because he's my all-time favorite. I love Punk. Just stand on what you believe. Mm. And and don't be a pushover. Mm. And I admired that because coming into the business and being new, you know, a lot of people, it's like you have to almost shrink yourself a little bit. Yeah. And I know who I am. Again, I lived several lives. I've lived real life. And just because I didn't want to do this all my life or because I didn't put in the time, I refuse to let anybody look at me less than. Mm -hmm. And I refuse for anybody to treat me anything different because outside of these lines, I'm a human freaking being. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to treat me like anything else. So um, I'm not saying that anyone treated me any type of way i'm just right. saying in wrestling you, you hear about that in wrestling. yeah of course of course especially on the indies and sure. i i'm not familiar with the indies at all but i'm not going to be walked over and i refuse right. for you to to because i'm jay cargill mm -hmm. and outside of these lines i'm jay cargill so yeah. i'm not going to let you address me anything less so the fact that he told me to stand on what i believe and don't be a pushover that stuck with me he's a great guy how crazy was backstage the night that Punk did that press conference with Tony Khan sitting next to him mm -hmm. and shit hit the fan. And it was like, 
I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> I have no idea. So I wasn't there. Okay. I had already left the stadium. I had already left. Um, right after my match, I left. I right. was like, all right, like I'm out, guys. And so I heard about it just like the rest of the world at the same time. Yeah. It was pretty shocking. Um, but and again, I saw that look yeah. that Tony Khan gave him, like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean,. I don't know. From my opinion, Punk's a great guy. He's been nothing but nice to the women's locker room. Right. He talks to me, um, tells me his experience again at Comic-Con. You know, we got really close because he was my, my tag me right. in the interviews. And I learned so much from him and so much knowledge in the industry. And again, he's, you know, been in two different companies. And of course. he's he can do whatever the hell he wants to do. So right. um, he doesn't need it. Right. He does it because he loves it. Yeah. And that, to me, speaks, speaks to me yeah. because... I don't need it. it. I do it because I love it. And I appreciate people like that. Yeah. I think for as, as much damage as punk does with his mouth sometimes, and that he did do in that press conference, I think, uh, you know, we got to remember that people are shades of gray. And though he might be a darker shade of gray or a lighter shade of gray, depending on how you want to look at it, there's, he's not all bad. There's a lot of good here to dig into, and you know we've heard it from multiple people now. Like I've said, Dax came out on his podcast and said, you know, I don't know what you guys think, but Punk's always been great to me. His do- locker room door has always been open to us. Uh, he's always been willing to talk to the young guys, watch their matches, help them with stuff. He buys everybody fucking massive Starbucks gift cards. Uh, you know, he bought apparently bought everybody in the women's locker room gift cards from Starbucks and did it anonymously too. Like, didn't even want to tell anybody it was from him. He just wanted to support the fucking women's locker room. Uh, Punk's a fucking class act in a lot of ways, but he's got a big mouth and that gets him in a lot of trouble. And he, he's very stubbornly behind his own opinions. He hasn't uh, apologized for anything that he said and doesn't sound like he's going to either. He's got his little comments. You know, he was laughing about it on his uh, MMA show that he commentates on. And then uh, he had that tweet where MJF's holding up the two plaques from the Observer. And one of them had featured Punk, I guess, maybe a wrestling match of the year of some kind. Or who knows what it was. I didn't look that deep into it. But he put a piece of tape over Punk's name. And Punk had commented, maybe you can find a piece of tape to put over the ratings so people don't see those either. Oh, boy. Classic Punk. Uh, So, yeah, he's not budging. He's the same old, same old as usual. But uh, it's kind of gotten everybody talking. I know Dave LaGreca had addressed this on his show this week as well. Kind of speculating on is Punk coming back? Should Punk come back? Of course, Punk has been posting pictures of him training again, too, as the healing process is getting better. He's back in the gym now. Um, Certainly gearing up for something, right? If not just to be in shape, I guess you could say that. But gearing up for a return, I would imagine. You know, he's got this love for wrestling, and that's not going to go away. So I guess the bigger uh, conversation here is, can is there room for punk to come back should punk come back you know we've heard both sides now we've heard the damage that he's caused by you know in his own words on the uh, press scrum there uh but then you know we've also heard you know the locker room doesn't want him back and that jericho's an outspoken guy against punk coming back obviously the young bucks and kenny omega are outspoken about it probably hangman uh but you know um 
LaGreca was speculating on his podcast, uh, Busted Open, this week about, you know, was Hangman Page's promo. He was backstage and being interviewed by Renee. He's talking about Mox, and then he was just like, hey, let me ask you about, nah, never mind, it's not important. Uh, that And he's talking about having to kind of right some wrongs, and so I think that might be leading to mending fences with the elite, probably. But it very well could be in reference to a possible punk coming back. Uh, <clears throat> look, I think enough for me personally, and I'm going to solicit your thoughts down in the comments below, uh, as I would like to have a conversation about this because it's very nuanced. There's a lot of sides to look at here, a lot of different takes that are you know legitimate takes on this. But I think my take on it at this point, look, I, I'm I'm a very well-known punk fan. Punk has been my boy. Um, and, I, you know, I lost a lot of love and respect for him after that press conference. Not that I'm a big elite fan necessarily, but just that he really did bury AEW in that press conference. He was very shitty and dismissive and disrespectful to Tony even. And I just think, you know, it was in very poor taste to do that. But I think enough time has settled now. I think emotions get hot. Things get sad. Things happen. I think enough time has passed now. I think enough dust has settled on this. And look, it's going to be another couple months even. Because Punk, even if they wanted to bring him back, he's not physically able to yet. He's still recovering. So <clears throat> I think by the time he's ready to come back, you know, and there's the rumor that was going around this week that Punk's on ice. There's no plans for Well, duh, he's injured. But there's no plans to release him either. I think they should not release him. And I think, you know, I have said at one point, and I am entitled to change my opinion over time, letting emotions cool, or just new facts come in, or just because I fucking feel like it, I can change my mind and... uh you know, I had once said that I think, yeah, maybe it's probably a good idea for AEW to part ways with Punk if he's going to be a detriment to the company like that. But I think enough people have come out now in defense of all the good that Punk has also done back there. And just knowing that emotions run hot and shit happens that, you know, there's money to be made there with Punk. And if he can get back on the same page, he can have feuds with Hangman, with the Elite, uh, he can come back as a heel if he wants. He can chase Max for the title. He can do any number of things, but I think enough time has passed now where we could sneak Punk back into the mix. Maybe he has to come back as a heel. Maybe he has to apologize to the locker room. and Maybe he has to dish out Chris Jericho a, a $500 Starbucks card. Who knows? But uh, I personally think let's at least give it a try. If he fucks up again, if he does the company more harm, then uh, maybe we'll cut him the next time. Just outright, just you're, we gotta let you go, dude. You're you're a nuisance to this company, because he did a lot of damage to AEW that they're still trying to come back from. They, they, it was such a bad blow to his to their image. Right down to like the Nick Khan interview where, where, you know, Bill Simmons had mentioned, you know, you haven't had any real competition, you know, until AEW came along. And Nick Khan dismissively was like, yeah, how are they doing now? <laughs> I mean, not as great, right? Not as great. And I think that's largely due to Punk and then Triple H taking back over creative kind of happening at the same time and people wanting to leave AEW to go back to Papa H. 
A lot of that did a lot of damage to AEW's image that I think they're still trying to climb back from. They haven't fully recovered from quite yet, but... You know, like I said, it's a very nuanced situation, but I think I'll kind of wrap it up here in just saying that I think enough time's passed that we give it a go. I think if there's money to be made, it makes business sense to try to bring him back. Maybe don't put him on a, a, in front of a press conference anytime soon. And, and, you know, maybe those fences can never be mended. And he's just always going to think he's right and always going to be an egomaniac and always, you know, belittle everybody else. You know, bury AEW next chance he gets. He, he's still doing it. You know, maybe you could put a piece of tape over the ratings so people don't see those. He's not helping AEW, and I think that's why, you know, there's a very strong argument to keep him out of AEW because of shit like that. He doesn't respect it. He's not there to put them over. But, you know, and you hear from all these guys that he's doing a lot to help these guys backstage. He has a love for the business. And certainly he's a needle mover. I don't give a fuck what anybody says. He's a ratings draw. He's a pay-per-view draw. He's a merch seller. So let's give it another try. And uh, dip our toe in and go from there. But that's just my thoughts. I don't know. What are your thoughts on this whole thing? Do you want to see Punk back? Is it time? Has there been enough time that have passed to kind of let things cool off? And uh, do you think, you know, all these other people coming out, your Will Hobbs, your Ricky Starks, your Dax Harwoods, Jade Cargill now coming out and defending Punk? Do you think uh, do you think it's time to bring him back? Let me know your thoughts on in the comments below. And I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next. Will Ospreay was on the Sessions podcast with Renee Paquette this week. Coming off the heels of his fucking amazing match with Kenny Omega at Wrestle Kingdom 17. I don't care what you think about Kenny Omega, Twinkle Toes, Jim Cornette fans, blah, blah, blah. And look, he hasn't set the world on fire in the U.S. I'll give you that. He hasn't had... You know, he's not my favorite. I don't think, I don't hate Kenny Omega. I don't think he sucks. But he has not, you know, been the New Japan Kenny Omega necessarily in the United States. But over in New Japan, god damn, him and Will Ospreay had a match of a lifetime there. One of the damnedest matches I've seen in a long, 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 long time. Uh, it was brutal. It was bloody. It was physical. It was dangerous. It made me... <gasps> made me do that so many times. I fucking, ugh. I, I can't even describe some of this shit. You just got to watch it. <clears throat> These guys tore the house down. And Will Ospreay has been a guy that's been on my radar for a long time, several years now. And I know Meltzer has been singing his praises, saying he's one of the best wrestlers in the world for a while. He absolutely is. There's un It's undeniable at this point that Will Ospreay, like, pound for pound, in-ring stuff. And I know a lot of you WWE marks don't care about the actual in-ring stuff. You don't care about a good match. If it doesn't happen in WWE, then it doesn't happen. And if they're not entertaining characters and personalities, you don't care. Fine. But if you are a wrestling fan, if you like moves in the ring, if you like to see people work and fucking actually physically work, then you will find nearly no better than Kenny Omega versus Will Ospreay at Wrestle Kingdom 17. You have to seek it out. You have to. 
Uh, but enough of me talking about all that. That's just me sucking off Will Ospreay a little bit here. And what a charming guy, too. Just a fucking... Seems like such a fucking charming guy. I had had a big old smile on my face just listening to him talk on this podcast. Uh, but it was in this particular clip that I wanted to share with you where he talks about the probability of him coming to the United States. He has spent the entirety of his career overseas. He's from uh, the UK. He's uh, got his, you know, he, he works over in Rev Pro quite a bit. That's kind of one of his home bases. He is signed to a contract with New Japan, and that has been his home base as well for many, many years as far as big promotions. And, uh, you know, Renee flat out asks him, like, bro, you can make a lot of fucking money in the U.S. Here's what Will Ospreay had to say about that. Check out this clip. I want to be there and just, like, especially yeah. with my, my grandparents are getting older, my mum and dad's getting older, so, like... Uh, so I, I obviously don't know what's going to happen, but like right now is I think the most important thing is is there's happiness in it. So yeah, oh my whoever, god, whoever, certainly. Whoever can I, like, I'm I'm fairly positive that me and New Japan will work something out. But like I, I'm also along the same lines of like for the first time, I kind of had a moment of realization that I only dipped my toes into America. I've never really stretched out there. Like yeah. you know, I, I've never. Yeah. I've only just. I've had one foot in the door and then the other, everything else has been yeah. out. So there is that part of me that is kind of like, well, maybe it is time to change things up. Maybe it's time for me to see what is on the other side. But my heart belongs here. Like this house is because of New Japan, like this, everything that I've ever done. But man, like I, I love that place so much. So it's going to be, it's going to be a tough road when it does come up. But it is one of those things where you just have to take uh, things how they go. Well, the good news is that there are some companies here in America that have working relationships with New Japan. So that is a thing of beauty. That's great to not take that off the table. But to play devil's advocate, I feel like there's a big fat paycheck over here for you. You could get a lot of cash. Do you think about that? I mean, I know I mean, you love the business and you love what you do, but getting paid is really nice as well. The thing is, I'm getting paid very nice over in New Japan. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, like, I'm mm -hmm. not like on, I don't know, who, who's rich? I don't know. Adam Cole. We use him. I like him. Sure. He's a lovely boy. But, yeah. like, I'm not on Adam Cole money. Do you know what I mean? But, like, I'm on, like, fairly fucking decent money. And it's yeah. just, like, it's, it's a huge weight off my shoulders, especially, like, now I've got loads of bills coming in. But, like, and, and I'm in a comfortable position where I can pay that and buy my zoops. So, like, you know what I mean? Like, we're, we're in a good position right here. I'd love to see Osprey in the U.S. Uh, by the way, what a charming guy. I know I said it before the clip, but right? Right? Such a fucking... And he's funny in his accent. I love those fuck... He's got a very, like, Cockney accent. Very... British, that Cockney English is... It's a whole different fucking language. There's a funny... <laughs> There's a funny joke in a movie called Euro Trip where there's a guy, they're on a bus and they're going to, they're tied with the Manchester United fans and they were on a bus and they're all crazy, like smashing bottles over their heads and stuff. And one of those guys like talking to this guy and he just turns, he's like, I have no idea what you just said. Like they speak English, but it's a, it's a very different type of English, you know, it's fun. I love it. I love it so much. Talks about uh, get to buy me zoobs. 
<laughs> He's wearing Zubaz pants. I don't know, man. Uh, they just—it's—it's it's great. It was fun to listen to. But uh, the bigger story here, right? Besides just how charming Will Osprey is in personality and his uh, particular accent, but uh, you know the prospect of him coming to the United States. Uh, certainly, I think. Um, <laughs> talking about Adam, I don't make Adam Cole money. He's a nice lad. Uh, I think Renee's a hundred percent right. There's a giant fucking big fat paycheck over here for Will Osprey, but you know, there's other things to consider. Will Osprey makes very good money. He makes a living. He can pay all his bills, take care of his family. Uh, you know, he can do anything he wants in New Japan. Nobody really tells him what to do. He doesn't get told how to have a match. He doesn't get told what to say in a promo. Obviously, he's never going to work in WWE. I don't think that's ever going to happen in a million years. I will eat the hat on my head right now with a bottle of ketchup if Will Ospreay signs with WWE. Not going to happen. I think much more likely is the opportunity he signs with AEW. That leaves the door open for him to still go out there and work the indies, still show up in New Japan, um, get that big fat paycheck, get the exposure in the United States and wrestling the United States style. Cause he even said in, in, in his interview with Renee, as good of a wrestler as he is, he's not a great promo and, uh, he's not good with like the cameras, you know, you got to work the camera and look at this. He's like, I don't give a fuck about the cameras. I just like to wrestle. And, you know, for those things being said, I think New Japan might just be the best place for him. Not only that, but he was the guy that replaced Kenny Omega as the gaijin that was there to kind of be the top guy in New Japan. They always look towards their top gaijin talent, you know, foreigner talent that uh, besides the New Japan natives, they invest in a lot of foreign talent over there. And, and when Kenny stepped down, Will Ospreay got bumped up to his top spot. And I think they're definitely grooming him to uh, be the guy that's going to be leading their company for the next several years. You know, Okada, as great as he is, I think Okada's maybe a pinch past his prime now. Not that he's slowing down or that he sucks. or I'm not trying to say that. I just think we've seen so many, you know, Okada's starting to become... The, you know, John Cena or Roman Reigns where it's just, you know, oh, Okada wins, LOL. Not that I don't think people are sick of Okada or that he's overstayed his welcome. I just think that it's becoming pretty routine that, you know, Wrestle Kingdom ends with Okada winning the belt again or retaining the belt. Or Okada has been the main event man over there for the majority of time. Uh, last several several years <clears throat> so i think it's time to kind of slide somebody new into that picture perhaps a little bit you know there's rumors that jay white might be looking for his way out now at this point looking to move on to probably come over to the u.s so it's prime for will osprey to slide into that spot not only that but you know he's his priorities you know i, I like to be home with my family I don't like to be traveling all the time. I don't want to be far away. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to deal with any of that shit. I just want to wrestle, make enough money to live, and just have that fucking beautiful quality of life. And that's what Will Ospreay has over in New Japan. And, he, you know, as he said, you know, I'm sure me and New Japan will work something out. I don't think he's looking for the top dollar. He's made it clear, like, money's not important to me. It, it, just, I just need enough. I don't need all of it and that, uh, you know, some of the things he might sacrifice by coming to the U.S. 
just probably aren't going to be worth it to him. And I think he's going to be looking for New Japan to just reinvest in him and, and continue to stay there as their flagship guy instead of trying to leave and go to the U.S. and try to make a name for himself here. Uh, selfishly, I'd love to see Will Ospreay on, on my TV every week. I want to see him work with a lot of the people. You know, he mentioned a lot of names of people he wants to work with in the U.S., and I'd love to see that. You know, Daniel Bryan, I think, was the top of his list, Bryan Danielson. I think I'd love to see that, but he even mentioned, like, hey, I think I'd tear it up with Jungle Boy if I got in there with him. And, you know, at the very least, if he does re-sign with New Japan, I think it would behoove them to uh, get in a few, let him come to the U.S. for a few spots, you know, they've done it. They got that working relationship with New Japan and AEW, Forbidden Door. Let's see some of this shit. Let's get Will Ospreay against Brian Danielson. I'd love to fucking see that. Let's get Will Ospreay against Jungle Boy. We've had Will Ospreay in AEW a little bit. Let's bring him back in. Let's get him more exposure and uh, maybe keep him in New Japan. Whatever it is, that's just my selfish opinion. You know, obviously, I hope he does what's best for him. But uh, great little interview, man. Again, charming as all fuck. Uh, as I get to know the guy, I, I like him more and more. And he's quickly, quickly inching up on one of my all-time top favorites. You know, he just he's a goddamn master in the ring. Cool guy on, on top of it. So that's my thoughts. Uh, link in the description down below if you want to watch the full interview. And I'm going to move on to the next. That's it. Holy shit. I've been talking for almost two hours here as I look at my record screen here. And that's not even counting all the clips that I'm going to put into this bitch. This is going to be a long episode. And I apologize if this was too long for you. I, I don't intend to make them all this way. Um, but certainly I wanted to take the time. And I did. I put a lot of extra time in... Uh, producing that segment for um for jay briscoe you know i took the time to do the individual uh screens i don't know if you even notice and if you're listening on the podcast you certainly don't notice but if you're watching on youtube you know anytime i played a clip from say busted open or something it would have the busted open podcast like i took the extra time you know i put all those tweet graphics up you know i cut all those out it doesn't sound like a lot but it is you know it's it, there's quite a bit of production that goes into just the graphical design of this show and then uh, sorting out clipping out all the separate clips and editing those to be you know the meat and potatoes of what i want to share with you guys and a lot of extra work went into this one, and I, I did it proudly because I really wanted to honor Jay. I didn't want to just pass over, you know, and just talk about it and kind of just get the bump for, you know, you know, I made my uh, obligatory reference to Jay Briscoe, and then we can move on to other stuff. I really wanted to do it justice, and I hope that clip kind of stands on its own as, uh, you know, hopefully it does a little bit of success, and I, I'm apologize, you know, like I said, if it took too long to get through this one, and I'll quickie, quit yakking here. But I also wanted to bring you all the other stuff. This was a big news week in wrestling, or a lot of shit, you know, the Nick Khan stuff, Jade and Punk, and I just wanted to do it all kind of justice and tackle it all. So this one's long. It might not all be. And, and you know, fuck, there's going to be weeks where maybe I only get a half hour out of it because it's a slow news week. So uh, I appreciate all of you for being along for the ride with me, those of you that are listening to the end. 
and I'll kind of leave it there. I won't go through all the big plugs. Just give me a quick like, follow, and subscribe on Facebook, Twitter, or TikTok if you're on any of those, at Seth Grimes Media. And uh, hit the subscribe button if you're watching on YouTube. And if you're listening to the podcast, go over to YouTube and hit the subscribe there. I do post bonus stuff like my uh, initial reaction to Jay's passing and all of that are on there. Um, but that's it. I'll let you guys go. It's been long. Peace, love, and pizza. I am your boy, Seth Grimes, and this has been the Pro Wrestling Podcast Podcast. Well, check, I guess the first thing that we got to do is say thank you to the ass boys. Y'all read our Christmas card on national television last night. I didn't think it was going to happen. I didn't either. I, didn't think I they, couldn't believe it. And they even showed up gifts in the stock. They even said our names. On oh, national TV. On oh, national television. Ain't that some shit? There you go. Hey, but hey, let's cut the bullshit, all right? The match has been made. Briscoes versus FTR part three. Part three, baby. Double right. dog collar match. Hey. You understand the implications of that? Not only are we going to have a chain connecting us with a collar around the yeah. neck, yeah. but it also yeah. means that anything goes. You're not going to hear no ding, ding, yeah. ding. You're yeah. winning by way of DQ. That's not going to happen. happen. We're going to have collars. We're going to have chains. We're going to be connected. It's going to be crazy as shit. I have to y'all, but tell y'all right now, I'm going to be real with y'all. We don't never do this. We don't never say shit like this, but we're going to say it right now. Y'all is the toughest tag team we've ever been in the ring with. All right? Really? The last two matches was two of the toughest fights of our lives. However, however. Man, I know y'all big on tape study. Y'all Bret Hart guys. Man, let, let me give Bring you a... Break it down quick for uh, tick. Break it down. Hypothetical. Yeah, yeah. Bret Hart versus Terry Punk. Okay. Who's your money on? I might go with Bret Hart straight okay. up. I mean, I might. I don't know. Not in a barbed wire match. No, hell no. Not in a steel cage match. Hell no. Not in anything goes hell match. No, I'm no, going no. with Terry 10 times out of 10. A whole new element right here, man. FTR, FTR, y'all boys is bad, but is y'all bad like this? Y'all watch it. Y'all know how we get down. Y'all watch them boys' tapes? Y'all know how we get down, them man. no DQ tapes? We get ready to go buck wild out that bitch. Y'all seen them? Buck wild out that bitch. You heard me? Huh? Y'all start to get a little bit nervous? I huh? ain't nervous. I feel like I'm about to turn into a werewolf right huh? now and shit. A damn werewolf, man. Is it Saturday yet? In the, in, in the back of your mind, is y'all you, is you a little bit timid? Check, just ask me, ask me one more thing. It can't come, cut this bitch off. It can't come soon it enough. It can't come soon enough. Ask me one more thing, Chief. We'll come after 12. Hey, 13 all day long. You baby. heard it, man? 13 times. 13 times, bitches. World tag. Is it Saturday yet? Cut the bitch off, Chief.